Great. So why don't we uh, get started? Um, oh, I got a DM from Matt just now. He he says he's here. So, uh, hey Hans, there we go. Hey, how's how are it you going? doing? I'm good. You're the man. So <laughs> thanks for coming. No, thank you. Thank, um, thanks for inviting me. Well, today was very special because uh, Matt, as you know, you know we're uh, sort of Tracy and, and I and uh, Undead, whom I invited as a speaker as well, who's now called Unrequited because his old account is still uh, banned. <laughs> and, and a bunch of us are really into this Russiagate stuff and have been for many years. And your thread today really spoke to that and um, sort of reflected in the uh, topic uh, or the headline for today's uh, spaces, which is that the intelligence communities were basically coercing Twitter to promote the Russia hoax. I mean, I guess that sort of that sums it up. Especially your first um, thread today um, was that was that how you saw it as well? Yeah, I think that's a fair interpretation. I think there were there were some key passages um, that we found in, in some of these emails. There was there was one I thought was really striking where. Um, one of the senior executives for Twitter meets with the Senate Intelligence Committee and he comes back after the meeting and uh, tells the rest of Twitter that uh, Warner is under pressure. This is Virg Virginia Senator Mark Warner. He's under political pressure uh, to make the story, essentially to make the story bigger and, uh, and to put pressure on us to, quote, keep producing material. Um, which turns out to be, if you read the email record, basically a request for them to produce uh, numbers of accounts that are suspicious and linked to Russia, which they're unable to do, ironically, which gets them into more trouble. But I, I thought that was very meaningful. Right. And then your second thread really got into the fact that it wasn't just one agency it was all of them. They were all making their requests and pushing for people to get banned and so on. And I think the point you made, which is so, so important for everyone to really take in, is most of this stuff, most of these abuses happened on Trump's watch. This is Pompeo State Department doing it. This is DHS under Trump. Everyone, you know, under Trump doing this. I think, you know, it, it really needs to be said more that that's what happened. And um, not dissing Trump here. I mean, what it means is that the, the bureaucracy was completely hostile and the people that Trump had running these these agencies just weren't either weren't up to the job or they were also undermining Trump. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important point. The way I view um, kind of the, the, the drama that happened in the second thread is basically that Twitter was perfectly fine and had been for years working with sort of democratic counterparts, you know, people like Mark Warner or Adam Schiff and the House Intel Committee, um, they didn't seem to have a problem uh, moderating content if, you know, it came from more of a progressive place. But when they were presented with a, a you know, the Trump State Department asking them to uh, essentially take action against a series of accounts um, they said were linked to China suddenly they were uncomfortable doing it and tried to protest and say no. But in the end, what, what ends up happening is that basically all the agencies end up getting uh, access to Twitter 
uh, one way or the other. And the compromise they come up with is that everything has to go through the FBI and the DHS because Twitter is comfortable with those uh, two bodies. Uh, I had I had one defense intelligence official tell me that he thought um, that basically Twitter preferred the FBI because they were less Trumpy, uh, but they all got uh, the same access basically in the end. Yeah, and uh, I guess the other point we should mention right here at the outset is that pretty much everything was framed uh, with Russia, Russia. That's sort of, <laughs> that was the opening gambit and that's what opened the doors and everything that happened was somehow blamed on Russia. And we're talking 2016 all the way through to, well, even more recently, Ukraine war and so on. So that's sort of the, uh, it's the magic word, isn't it? <laughs> it's the Aladdin you know, cave open. So uh, Twitter opens up as soon as you say Russia, Russia, and you just see that happening again and again. And there was one, um, one of your uh, tweets contained a message which was sort of totally contradictory, but really showed well, how important this Russia, Russia thing was or is to the, the agencies who are trying to get in and, and trying to get people banned is when they claim that Russia has some disinformation um, uh, thing going on where they're trying to promote the lab leak theory. <laughs> right. The yeah, exact yeah. opposite of what Russia would be doing. Russia even signed a, a memo together with China, an official one. She and, and Putin signed it that says absolutely no lab leak. This is all natural, <laughs> which, of course, Putin you know, just signed because she wanted him to sign it. But the idea that Russia would pre- be promoting that is totally ludicrous, yet they put that in there because they knew that would open the door. Yeah, absolutely. Like Russia was, was a magic word um, for all these agencies. I mean, all they had to do was really invoke the word Russia and people would at the company would be afraid to publicly cross anybody who said anything was Russian influence, even something as ridiculous as what you're talking about. You know, the idea that, you know, it was a Russian backed, disinformation campaign that somehow led to zero hedge uh, reporting um, about the lab leak or something like that. It's, it's absurd, but the degree to which it, it had seeped into the culture of not only of the agencies, but of, you know, NGOs and private research labs that were doing this work. Um, I thought it was really expressed by, by Clemson, the Clemson's uh, media forensics lab, sending them a note, saying you haven't done a Russia attribution in a while, like as if there's supposed to be a regular amount of them. Um, and you know, even Twitter thinks that's ridiculous in, in these emails, which is amazing. Hey, Matt, this is Tracy. It's great to meet you. Thank you for all your, your amazing work that you've done over the past couple of years. It's, uh, oh, thank you, Tracy. It's been a real breath of fresh air to see someone who's, I guess, ideologically different than many of us uh, tell the truth. It's been refreshing. Um, so... <laughs> I, I nice just, to meet you. Thank you. I wonder if you'll agree with me when I say that this this Twitter files that you've dropped tonight, at least to me, is one of the more important ones because they based an entire uh, soft coup attempt, for lack of a better word, against a sitting president on the fact that there was Russian disinformation spreading across Twitter, the fact that Russia was behind the DNC hack. The fact that, you know, the, the Mueller investigation revolved around the fact that Russia had Twitter bots doing things. And you know what I mean? And, and this we learn there really was no impactful Russian 
influence operation going on on Twitter. And we had people from from, you know, the the Senate Select Committee for Intelligence and then later on the HIPSI after Devin Nunes had left telling Twitter to fabricate this. And it, it fed the underbelly of everything. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, basically, that's what happened. They, they, Twitter did an internal review. They initially came up with what they did. What, what they did initially was they took all the data that Facebook turned over, both to them and to um, to the SSCI, as you mentioned, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. And Twitter was sort of mad because Facebook made this decision that they were going to um, go out in public and say that they had Russia-linked accounts on Facebook, and they not only shared their data with Congress, they also shared it with Twitter, which was sort of like dragging Twitter into a mess with them. Uh, so Twitter was upset, and they kept trying to say that they didn't have a problem, which they sincerely believe they didn't have. Uh, and they so they initially took the data that 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 Facebook turned over, which was uh, you know when they finally looked at it, it was something on the order of eight thousand accounts. Uh, initially, um, and they they searched and searched, and they did manual reviews. Ultimately, of about twenty seven of their best twenty seven hundred of their best suspects, got down to twenty two accounts that could say were very high risk, and only a few of those were definitely linked to Russia. And of those few, two of them were Russia Today. So they really didn't find anything. And um, the Senate Intelligence Committee was furious. They, they, Warner held an immediate press conference denouncing their responses um, inadequate on every level, uh, which is strange because if it's a fact-finding mission and those are the facts, how could it be inadequate? But they took the hint. They, they commissioned another task force internally, which also didn't find anything. And then it was only later, eventually, that they kind of gave in and decided to bring in an outside law firm that found more accounts that they could sort of claim were linked to Russia. But they didn't find anything for months. And, um, but they eventually had to say otherwise. They even used the Russian bot infestation excuse to try and shelve the Nunes memo from being released. I mean, this this went so far deep into what has now become known as Spygate that I'm sitting here with my mouth open like, wow. I mean, you know, then from there we had that the, the 300 that you spoke about, those 300 accounts that were banned um, I believe that was election integrity that they were talking about. They had mentioned the word voter fraud at some point in a tweet somewhere and then were, were hi- highlighted. Um, I, did a, I did an analysis of those Twitter accounts before they were banned. They barely even tweeted about any of the things that, that, that were attributed to them. So what's the bigger picture here for you? Why? Why? Well, I, I think it's obvious why. I mean, they they – I mean, there, there's a there's an email in there where one of the Twitter executives reports that Warner is uh, taking cues from Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton was saying that fall, that September, that she had been the victim of a virtual Watergate, uh, and that Twitter needed to stop dragging its heels and come to terms with the fact that it, that its platform had been used to stage cyber warfare operations. She she used those those exact terms. Um, and so uh, Russia became a sort of a catch-all excuse to do two things. Number one was to explain the loss of Donald Trump, 
But secondly, and more importantly, it was the way for the government to get its foot in the door of the moderation process at Twitter. And they had done this previously in Europe with different predicates. Like there, there were ISIS attacks in Brussels and Paris, and the EU had come to these companies and said, if you don't crack down more on terrorist accounts, when, then we're going to legislate you more. That's exactly what happened here except it was a different threat. It wasn't terrorism. It was the Russian meddling threat. The difference being that it was kind of non-existent in this case. And, you know, you brought up the Nunes memo. I, I think what we're going to find is that there was a whole industry of people who were sort of outside experts who were taking data that they could basically claim had some vague indicia pointing to Russia, but nothing concrete. But they would say they were IRA accounts, and then all you needed to do was get a reporter to repeat that. And that's, as I think, you know, we all know that's not that hard in America. So so that's how this whole thing was driven. Yeah, I think it's worth kind of zooming out maybe for a moment and kind of think, where, does, where did this all start off from? And, it, you know, it started with the Hillary Clinton campaign. So they had this plot where they're going to tie Trump to this Russia collusion narrative. And it was all fake. It was all made up, steel, and all the rest of it. But of course, he was expected to win. So this was like, you know, you, you kill off Trump with this Russia collusion story, and then you move on and, you know, she becomes president. And that never happened. And so I think it's really important to, you know, as we kind of look at the 30,000 foot view here is what happened is that after she lost, it was the U.S. government that seized upon this Russia collusion narrative. They sort of took it and made it their own. And Nunes is very interesting in this in this regard because you had every single agency kind of teaming up. And as we found out from you today, Senate Intel, led by Burr, supposedly a Republican, was really big in on this, uh, as was DHS and you know all the other agencies. I mean, you even had CIA in there in, in one of these uh, emails that you shared. Oh, yeah. More, only, more than one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, 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 import, the, the only part of the sort of intelligence community apparatus of the United States that was not part of this plot to take down Trump after he was elected was Nunes's committee, the House Intelligence Committee. That was the only one. And guess what they did with him? <laughs> they, they put him under a false ethics charge. And then he spent 10 months in purgatory where he wasn't allowed to do anything. And meanwhile, and you know, if we look at the dates, 2017, all this stuff was going on uh, that they were they were basically colluding to take down Trump. But I think it's so important to realize that the U.S. government took a private smear campaign, the Clinton one, and kind of made it into their own. It was like an all hands on deck effort after Trump got elected. Never again. I mean, first of all, let's get rid of this guy. And second of all, never again. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I'm, I might quibble with there is that I'm, I'm not entirely sure how much of this was driven specifically by a desire to get rid of Trump as opposed to a, a general desire to have control over the moderation process. They may have used Trump as an excuse. I think in some cases it might have been driven by real animosity towards Trump, but you know, it's pretty clear that they did, they've done this. Um, other governments have done basically the same thing um, in Europe and in other parts of the world. It, they just use a different excuse. And there, there's a there's kind of a telling quote 
um, early in August of 2017, where one of the senior lawyers for, for Twitter uh, is seeing this Russia thing coming and she's saying, oh, God, you know, we don't want to get dragged into another pitch for an industry wide solution, which suggests that they had been down this road before, but had escaped it. Um, but this time they didn't escape. Uh, so I, I, I think you're right. I think, I think a lot of it was, um, it, it ended up playing out as, as kind of a grand media fake story that was directed at Trump. But I, I, you know, I wonder a little bit about the motives. I mean, it could be that. I just don't know. Hey, hey, Matt, real quick, and then I'll step back and let uh, Unrequited speak for a second. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's that ongoing case right now, Missouri v. Biden, right? And, mm-hmm. and this is basically the linchpin that case needed. Threats of legislation, threats of sort of, you know, quasi-sanction against a social media platform should they not do as they're told. Has this stuff gone over to formerly A.G. Schmidt in, in Missouri, or is this just in you guys' hands and they don't have any of it yet, do you know? I mean, I haven't heard from any any officials yet, and I, I don't know that I would because um, I, I wouldn't be the person they would approach. I think they would approach Twitter with that. But this stuff's out there now. Um, you know, we, one of the reporters on this story, Lee Fong, is uh, a person who covered that story. So I would imagine, um, you know, if if they had a desire to get at this material, that they, they could. You know, the thing is, we're trying to put as much of this out as we can um, in case it's of interest to investigators, which we think um, some of it might be. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody's contacted me, but I think you're right. I think a lot of this is apropos. And then when Russia didn't work anymore, they moved right along to using QAnon to get, you know, reputable journalists banned from the platform. So it's always a different a different mechanism for the same end function. Um, Unrequited, go ahead and speak. Yeah. Hey, Matt, I really appreciate you stopping in and, and offering your time so we can ask you some questions. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got, I think, four quick data points that I just want to dot the eye on a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So as it relates to your thread from today, um, we've kind of beat around this a little bit, but given the, your level of access and what you've been looking at, can you unequivocally rule out that there weren't earlier communications related to alleged IRA activities around the 2016 election? Or does this uh, period in 2017 appear to be the really the first time that there was communications on this? So there's, a, there's, there's an email that I left out um, that I was going to put in where a Twitter communications official uh, talks about wanting to speak to reporters on background and tell them that we have not been approached by the intelligence community about election interference yet. Uh, and there's some pushback from a superior because the superior notes that they had been asked by, a, I guess, the House committee. Um, but it doesn't appear that anybody was investigating this matter, at least until August of 2017, like specifically election interference and the IRA and um, and the, the platforms. So I, I think it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't think you can definitively say it wasn't there. I mean, I'm only looking at part of the picture, but um, but it's, it's, it's certainly suggests that the company hadn't dealt with it in a sophisticated way until then. 
Wow, that's that's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think two other questions that are directly related to that point. Um, looking through a few media articles, I went back and did a Google search. It looks like in early 2018, uh, there's some media reporting to the fact that Twitter, um, this is a Guardian post, but it says that Twitter admits there's far more Russian bots. And they said they removed mm-hmm. you know, 50,000 accounts that were, Related to reposting 2016 election disinformation, have you have you gotten into anything related to that yet? So I think I know. I haven't seen those okay. that exact that exact number, but I think I know where that came from. So okay. what happened was when um, when they did their internal reviews, and they did a couple of them. They did did several rounds of it, and didn't really turn up much. Uh, they kind of went into a panic first. One of the first things they did is they hired Burson Marsteller, which is a um, a crisis management firm that has lots and lots of ties to um, government officials, but especially on the Democratic side. And then they brought in outside counsel. They brought in uh, Deborah Waz and Plimpton. And then along with MIT, they set up basically their own version of um, the Atlantic Council's digital forensic research lab. Uh, to look for more Russian disinformation. And that process immediately started um, uh, bringing in bigger numbers. Uh, but they were looking at the same data. I think what they were just doing was, was using different terms to describe accounts as being Russia-linked. Um, but I, the reason I didn't report on that more is because I couldn't, I couldn't find enough to really explain what those numbers meant. All I know is that they were coming from uh, outside counsel and, and from uh, another university. And so I, I'm suspicious of that because if you look at the history of these other labs, they're all doing the same thing. They're looking at stuff like retweet history um, and making conclusions based on, you know, things that are, that are not particularly proprietary information. And yeah, I, I'm suspicious of that. Okay. Um, and then I think one more question sort of still related to this mm-hmm. issue, right around the time that, that your threat is pertaining to in, in late 2017, there's actually, um, there's a story that's been out there. It's in Washington Post. It never really got too much traction, but right around that same time that there was a group of researchers that had actually provided a bunch of work product to the Senate, um, related to alleged IRA activities in 2016. And then magically these same individuals that had reported on the alleged interference by Russia had turned around completely and they were actually creating fake Twitter bots um, in the style of Russians that were uh, ret- oh, retweeting the, right. the Alabama Senate candidate. And they called that project. Yeah, the Roy Moore race. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, project Birmingham. So um, I think that would be sort of interesting if there's any communications related to, to, to those accounts um, and how they differentiated those from, what they allege to be IRA accounts. Yeah. So you're talking about new knowledge, I think is the group. That's right. right? Yeah. Um, and they, and they, they, uh, they managed to get quoted in the New York times and the times never did a correction or anything. <laughs> even after the, um, another reporter at the paper did a story on how the whole thing was fabricated. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that tells you a lot about that whole process. But 
look, the, the, the thing about this is, and I'm not an expert, I'm, I, I don't have a, you know, cybersecurity background, and, um, but it's pretty clear from reading the back and forth between all of these analysts that, um, basically they could make the data say anything they wanted it to do. There's even an, an email in there where one communications official is worried about the implication that, that we can even identify what an IRA account is. Um, because then they'll expect us to do it. Uh, so, so the, they really didn't have any way of knowing, um, and they had very little concrete information to go on. But I, the key is that none of these accounts, um, except for a handful were of, of real consequence. They, they, they weren't spending a lot of money. They weren't reaching a lot of people and they had low engagement, even relative to other accounts uh i mean there's there there are stats in there that are really interesting like you know the guccifer 2 um account you know yeah. only like 1.5 percent of its retweets were involved accounts that might have been linked to russia right so that that isn't what you'd expect right um and there's there's just a lot of stuff like that that makes you think that uh if there was something more there that they would have found it. And, and that was actually going to be my last question for you um, would, would be on Guccifer 2.0. Do you see any communications? Do you see any requests from law enforcement agencies to, to get documents or, or direct messages, anything like that? Um, do you have dates on any of that or, or is it possible? And, and I don't know what restrictions you might be working under. Would it be possible to, get those direct messages and maybe the DNS, you know, the IP address is associated with that account and, and make those available or is that too far? Yeah. I mean, um, I haven't done it yet, okay. but, um, we, we've, you know, as we're going through this, I think all the different reporters are using different methods, but what, what I'm doing is that I, I basically have different buckets for different subjects as I read through thousands and thousands <laughs> of these emails. And one of them actually is APT 28 and Guccifer because it does, they do pop up um, consistently over the course of all the different years that we're looking at. Uh, oddly enough, the, in the industry briefings between the, the FBI, DHS, and then companies like Twitter and Facebook, uh, you'll frequently see on the agenda something that like APT 28 briefing. Um, so they, they, this is still a topic of conversation for years and years and years after um, it was initially in the news uh, internally at Twitter. Um, you did see a little bit of talk about Guccifer, but again, the numbers that they mention in their internal analyses didn't seem all that meaningful to me, mm -hmm. but the, the, re the repeated um, sort of references to the fancy bear and cozy bear and all that stuff, even years afterward, I thought was pretty interesting. And, and I will take a look at it at some point or somebody will. Okay. Cause they're trying to build that narrative. That's why, I mean, I'm, they, they pinned the entire thing on a supposed Russian hacker that let everybody know he was in Russia in Guccifer too, it's it's utterly ridiculous. So I'm glad that that's somewhere peppered in there, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I'm gonna have to get some experts to look at it. Uh, maybe some of you all can help me out on this. But um, but yeah, yeah it, it, it's definitely it definitely appeared often enough that some of us noticed it. Let's put it that way. 
on, on that, very quickly, I, I want to give the uh, um, open it up for Adam, who was asked to, to uh, ask a question. But j- just while we're on that, do you like technically do you have a hard drive with all the stuff, or do you have to go to San Francisco, or you know how how does this work? It's been um, kind of a different. We've we've had different processes throughout the this period. Um, I've gone back and forth to San Francisco multiple times. I was there. I just got back from being there for two weeks. Um, and, uh, what we're basically doing is, uh, doing wide search terms for things and then getting huge buckets of data, uh, from the company, um, and then sort of sifting through them and then trying to recalibrate based on what we're, we're looking at. So for instance, uh, you know, I might see something about Twitter having uh, a dispute with the, um, the state department's global engagement center. And then I'll just ask for more things related to that with more specific search words. And that'll take a little longer to get. So it's kind of, it's kind of a slow process. Plus, um, you know, this is all, it, it, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, to, you know, you'll read a thousand emails and one of them will be interesting. Um, and it, it, it takes a while. Um, but, uh, you know, so it's, it's not, it's not the ideal situation, but I'm not sitting in front of a terminal with like global access to everything in the company. Let's put it that way. Ah, shame. <laughs> hey, yeah. Right. Matt, yeah, just to hop in, sorry, right, Hans, go. just to hop in like real fast. Hey Matt, good to talk to you again. Um, like ask, like what Hans was asking, <clears throat> when you get these data sets from the lawyers and everything, do they ever put in barriers? Like supposedly like the Guccifer 2.0, um, hackers were from Russia. Obviously they're GRU agents, according to the government. Do they ever say like you can't have this data because there's an ongoing investigation or something like that? No. Or will they just give it, give everything? <clears throat> we haven't been told anything like that. And, and actually, you know, some of this stuff I can't get into because it involves like the deals I made with the quote unquote sources in the story to, um, about the information. But, uh, we were all promised, I would say, pretty unlimited access to the material. Um, you know, even, even things that you would normally not expect, like, um, privileged documents. So, uh, we don't, we don't think, that we're looking at stuff that's been vetted a lot. Um, I don't know, but we don't know. I mean, that's why we, we were, we're usually including a disclaimer. I actually forgot to put it in today that, you know, um, but uh, you know, it, 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 there is a third party that's doing the searches for us. So we don't, we, we don't have total visibility into what's going on. Got it. Thanks. And have you, if you give keywords, have you given goose for 2.0 yet? No. Or is that on? Is that yeah, on the to do list? Might have though, uh, not me. Um, Got it. So yeah, I'll check on that. Cool. Yeah, that, that, that would be great. Fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. That guy's at the. He's sort of at the core of it all. Mm-hmm. If you blow up that hoax, you blow up everything, because we all know how this went. Like, well, Trump colluded or whatever, and then you know, oh well, he didn't collude, and then it always comes back to, well, but the Russians hacked the DNC. That's sort of the the final resort that the media and Democrats and whatever always come back to. Oh, but the Russians hacked the DNC. And if you can blow that up by a Guccifer too, then, you know, everything is gone. Um, anyway, sorry, it was, uh, I, um, Adam, go ahead. 
hi. Uh, I want to do a quick sound check because I'm on a different headset. Can you hear me okay? We can. Okay, perfect. And thank you so much for including me, Hans. I wasn't going to do this. I was just going to be a spectator. But I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to uh, respectfully ask uh, Matt a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> and uh, Matt, in advance of that, um, let me say that uh, you're fantastic. Um, I've listened to your stuff with Walter very, very frequently, very often. So, um, so thank you uh, so much. And if I come across, awesome. he is, and if, he is, he is. And um, we both have, uh, um, we're both kind of history aficionados. <laughs> I, spend a, I spend a lot of time on that. Um, and he's, he's fantastic. And um, uh, if I can just take another moment just to say that I'm delighted to see other people here. I see Jeff is here. Uh, fantastic. And I see Techno is here. And hopefully you're enjoying it. You're still uh, newlywed, I believe. And I see Jordan here as well. So uh, I did want to say hello to them. So, um, Matt, I do have a, a, a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. And if I uh, appear hostile in any way, it's, uh, it's not the spirit I intend. It's just my... Oh. Uh, sometimes that's me. I can't help it. Um, so, um, so please un under understand that. And um, if I can just ask uh, initially, if, uh, you know, Elon Musk said that, uh, that uh, James Baker was exited from the company. Yep. Uh, although exited is not, in, is not a clinical HR term. And I'm very, <laughs> I'm very familiar with that industry and the legalese of it. And uh, a thousand emails and one of them and she and she said jim who and she got a, a, a phone number and called it and that's how she learned but not me got um, it. so yeah i'll check on that cool yeah, that, that, that'd be great fantastic um mm -hmm. that guy's at the he's sort of at the core of it all mm -hmm. you blow up that hoax you blow up everything because we all know how this went, like well, Trump colluded or whatever. And then, you know, oh, well, he didn't collude. And then it always comes back to, well, but the Russians hacked the DNC. That's sort of the, the final resort that the media and Democrats and whatever always come back to. Oh, but the Russians hacked the DNC. And if you can blow that up by Guccifer uh, 2, then, you know, everything is gone. Um, anyway, sorry, it was uh, I, um, Adam, go ahead. Hi, uh, I want to do a quick sound check because I'm on a different headset. Can you hear me OK? We can. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And thank you so much for including me, Hans. I wasn't going to do this. I was just going to be a spectator. But I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to uh, respectfully ask uh, Matt a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> and uh, Matt, in advance of that, um, let me say that uh, you're fantastic. Um, I've listened to your stuff with Walter very, very frequently, very often. So, um, so thank you uh, so much. And if I come across, awesome. he is, and if, he is, he is. And um, we both have, uh, um, we're both kind of history aficionados. <laughs> I, spend a, I spend a lot of time on that. Um, and he's, he's fantastic. And um, uh, if I can just take another moment just to say that I'm delighted to see other people here. I see Jeff is here. 
uh, fantastic. And I see Techno is here, and hopefully you're enjoying it. You're still uh, newlywed, I believe, and I see Jordan here as well. So uh, I did want to say hello to them. So, um, Matt, I do have a, a, a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. And if I uh, appear hostile in any way, it's, uh, it's not the spirit I intend. It's just my oh. – uh, sometimes that's me. I can't help it. Um, so, um, so please un- under- understand that. And um, if I can just ask uh, initially if uh, – you know, Elon Musk said that, uh, that uh, James Baker was exited from the company. Uh, although exited is not in, is not a clinical HR term, and I'm very I'm very familiar with that industry and the legalese of it, and uh, it's the first time I've ever heard exited uh, used to used in that manner, so that it doesn't mean anything. And I appreciate its complexities and uh, you know the, the palace intrigues. But is does James Baker still work for the company? No, no, he's gone. Okay, but when you say he's gone, you mean he's no longer employed by Twitter? That's what we were told, and we haven't seen him. And uh, you know, this was this was the holdup. We we after my first uh, Twitter files, which I guess was on December second, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, After that, uh, Barry Weiss was brought in that weekend. Yeah, and we both started having problems getting more documents, and um, and Barry happened to be in the in the office that weekend, and a uh, one of the staffers said, "Okay, I just got to check with Jim," <laughs> and she said, "Jim who?" and she got a, little, uh, a phone number and called it, and that's how she learned it was Jim Baker, and yeah. it was during that time we were getting. I don't know if you uh, how many lawyers there are in the audience, but if you've ever been involved in a, like a big litigation, I think most lawyers will tell you that they try to give you as much nonsense as possible so that you waste your time. Um, that's kind of where we were. We were we were getting like reams and reams and reams of spam and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and then we were told um, on the Tuesday after that that Baker had, was had been exited. And on the Wednesday morning, that's when real documents started appearing again. So um, I know he was there. Uh, I know based on a couple of data points that he was involved in vetting some of the early documents. Um, but... That's fine. I, I don't want to, um, you know, put you in a position where, you know, you're attempting to answer something that is incomplete. And I understand that that's, that's difficult to do. So I don't want to you know, kind of oblige you to an answer that may not, you know, be, cor- be correct. Exited was just a, an unusual term. And again, I understand that there's a lot of palace intrigue. So um, um, do you know if he's with another law firm? Uh, I don't. I don't. Okay. I, 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 mean, I, think, I think if he were still at then, we, we, were, we were told pretty unequivocally he was no longer employed with, okay. with, with Twitter. Um, and I also think that it would have been um, extremely difficult for him to be there and for this project to continue the way it did. Uh, there was a pretty dramatic change in how everything went uh, after that episode. So, gotcha. I, yep. And you, you did, and um, you, you did kind of infer within one of your tweets. And in fact, um, I think even within our, uh, even with listening to the spaces that there were third parties. And I think within one of your tweets, um, you know, the inference was that 
accounts that had been uh, identified um, as meeting certain characteristics of it uh, would be kind of handled almost in an offline type of way. And the way I would understand that is it would go to a DFR or it would go to a shop that would then kind of give it the environment of Twitter, but would do counter programming, would do water holes on it uh, and a much deeper analysis. Is this something that you're familiar with? Do you think this is, is, do you think they were using an outside shop for that function? I think they might've been doing that initially. Um, I, I, I again, we don't know, you know, I, like we're, we're, we're asking for documents where we're, we're, we're filing searches and we're getting a whole bunch of stuff back. My attitude toward this is um, until I get the sense that um, I'm being lied to or that the material I'm getting is not revealing in some way, um, then then I'm not going to dig too hard into that issue. I, you know, it's the same thing about people criticizing us for, you know, quote unquote, doing PR for the richest person on earth. Like people ask, you know, what, what are his motives? Well, I don't care what his motives are. I know what my motives are. I'm like, I'm interested in finding out what Twitter was thinking, you know, back when Russiagate was starting and during the 2020 election and during COVID and all those things. And I'm definitely getting information about that. So as long as that's, that continues to be the case, um, you know, I, I'm not going to worry too much about the, the process. My impression is that they've been pretty cooperative so far. So, um, That's and, awesome. and, 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 and Elon certainly has been. So, yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. I've been involved with Tesla for so long mm. and uh, I've bumped into him at many, many times at the Sequoia LP, you know, Christmas and field parties. And he's always been fantastic. Mm. Um, so, uh, do you feel that there has been any continuing um, current ex-FBI agents um, that, that are still working with Twitter that have in any way influenced or made any type of intrusions into what's being seen and what's not? Oh, I, I wouldn't. I would be shocked if there weren't lots of them at the company still, although I don't know how many of them have been fired, but uh, there were so many FBI agents and, and former security officials at the company. In fact, it's funny. Uh, one of the, one of the first things that happened after um, Mark Warner held his press conference, press conference calling uh, Twitter's response uh, inadequate on every level is that they were suddenly flooded with job applications from former FBI and counterintelligence officials. And even during, even throughout the process, when they were working with these task forces, sometimes the people that they worked for ended up asking for jobs and some of them got hired. So there seemed to have been a lot of them. We, I haven't been keeping account. I think, I think some of the other reporters have been. Uh, do, you feel, do you feel that they have been um, influencing what you've been able to see or the um, all the um, whatever requests you've made, whatever returns you get, um, whatever files have been made available to you? Do you feel in any way that there has been any um, kind of intervention? My sense is that if there's any intervention, it's more on the preventing litigation side than it is on the deep state side. So, um, 
you know, I, I don't know. It, again, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. The, the process has kind of changed multiple times. Like, and, I, and some of this I can't get into because it's sort of like off the record type stuff, but, sure. um, but we, we've had periods where we, you know, we're getting thousands of emails an hour. And then we've had periods where days go and we don't, there's nothing. So, um, it's it's changed up uh, throughout throughout this time, but what I will say is that uh, there, there's enough material to keep us busy for a long, long time <laughs> already. Uh, yeah. Like for instance, we, we we supposedly have a complete set of Jim Baker's emails uh, now. So oh boy, that's, that's, that's awesome. enorm- enormous amount of stuff. Um, just that just just that data set. So uh, there, there are there are a couple of things like that where it, it'll take us a while just to get through the reading of it. Now, within uh, when he communicates with the agencies, are you going to? Um, and this isn't one of my written questions I've got prepared. This is just kind of off the cuff. But do you feel that there's also going to have any FOIA? Are you? Will you be? Do you see yourself in the future working with other journalists so that there can be kind of a more robust? A FOIA process put in place so certain gaps can be filled. Yeah, I've got a FOIA writer, and I've been issuing FOIAs throughout this process. Wow. Um, I don't expect a lot of them to be honored, uh, but I may actually go to court for some of these. Uh, so, you know, no, having done this for a long time, uh, I know that process is not always fruitful. Uh, and, but it is it, it is if you can convince the judge that there's a reason, and in a couple of these cases, I think we might have some reasons. So, um, you know, well, like well, for instance, we, we've we're Floyd the communications of the San Francisco FBI field office. Uh, I think they, I think it would, they would be hard pressed to deny us everything in those cases. Um, and there's 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 some other stuff that we've asked for. But again, it's such a huge company, and we're still at the stage of basically mapping out how everything worked, um, and not yet at the point where, you know, we know exactly what to ask for. Like, I, I think if you've noticed, like the threads that I've been, that I've done have really focused on well, what was the process? What like how how did, how did all this work? How did moderation work? And it's been a lot like a big job just to figure out that they had, you know, basically this uh, funneling process where they worked through the FBI and the DHS and all the other agencies worked through them and they did it basically through different platforms. Like DHS had something called Hizen, the FBI had Teleporter and Signal. All that stuff has been, um, you know, just sort of basic architecture and we haven't gotten to the level of asking, like, what are, what are the next level questions yet? Interesting. Thank you very much for that. If I, if I may continue, and I know I'm taking everyone's time as well, and hopefully uh, my questions are in, in, informative, and, and, and Matt, no, you're cool. great. I mean, you really are great. So in terms of the time frame, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, uh, I remember in 2015 the David Brock operation with Correct the Record which uh, I'm not sure how active you were uh, on Twitter at that time, but it was uh, really bombastic. There was all and audacious. I mean, they were everywhere. And it was something 
that was still kind of an FEC unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and I see that uh, you know the time frame doesn't include uh, that. Um, Not yet. Oh, it will. oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we we hope so. Anyway, you know, we've we've got some stuff that's outstanding. But um, I, I was interested in that exact question. Uh, my impression was that Twitter went through a pretty dramatic change in 2015 and 2016 in terms of the number of automated accounts on the platform. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I was, I was trying to get some indicia about, you know, what might've been the reasons for that. So I've got, I've got some requests out in that direction. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, and in automated accounts, I think one of the most notable accounts, um, manager of such a thing was Sally Albright. And I'm sure a lot of people remember Sally Albright. Do you recall her, Matt? I do. I remember there was a story in, God, I want to say... Huffington Post. Was it HuffPo? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I actually assisted in that. Um, oh, okay. Just in terms of a little bit of like the um, reverse engineering of it, um, just casually. I think it was Liking Online, if I recall, who did most, who did 99% of the work. And hopefully my 1% was uh, meaningful. Oh, excellent. No, that was a great story. And, and what was amazing about it is that it was one of the only stories about this, right? Like, it's been years and years and years. Clearly, this is going on, right? And nobody's done stories about, you know, these these domestic, clearly paid for trolling operations and clearly political ones. Um it's fascinating to me that, that so that that's great that you did that. I'm, I'm glad you yeah, did. And Sally Albright was doing the same thing on Reddit, um, where she was using Buffer app to synchronize the activity of hundreds of inauthentic accounts where she was using the pictures of literally of dead people. It was very offensive when we kind of reverse engineered or like huh. an online reverse engineered and we looked at the profile picture she was using um, is uh, was just a horrible thing to do. I mean, it was beyond reckless of her to do. But she was so synchronizing a lot of uh, bot accounts that she had created and, and giving them chats. Um, Hillary is great. Bernie Sanders is horrible, that type of stuff. Right. Um, and she was also doing it to amplify and boost Eric Garland. Um, and I don't want to blame those people because I don't, I, I'm, not calling them, I'm not calling them participants. I don't want to you know, suggest that. Um, but she, you know, it was, they were, she, they were Hillary friendly and, you know, she was boosting that that messaging Uh, on Reddit. She was kicked off. Her entire operation was identified and moderators kicked her off. Um, Twitter was asked to kick her off. You know, there was an outcry to kick her off. Um, but they didn't. Right. Right. And I'd be interested in getting to the bottom of that. I, I am, I'm with you on that. Um, we just, we just don't have that chunk yet. But uh, I, I'm anxious to get to it. Hey, Adam, thank, thanks so much. I don't, I'm not trying to be rude. You have great questions, but there's people with their hands up for quite a while. Can you hang around for a little bit and we can come back to you in a minute? Tracy, would you be kind enough just to let me ask one or two more questions? Would that be all right? We could, we could do one more. Go ahead. One more. Okay. Um, and I'm delighted to see Jordan's here. I think that uh, he, I, Hans uh, included, and maybe one or two other people, um, are uh, are truly experts on kind of the genesis story of uh, of uh, COVID, not in terms of its viral type of stuff, because you know that's we're not scientists, but in terms of kind of uh, how Twitter reacted to it and the influences that Twitter had 
uh, that bots had. And um, th those bots began on January 23rd. Um, and I recall them deliberately. I'm kind of an expert on China, and I was very surprised to see that much activity and it being permitted to go viral. It's not the nature of, of Twitter. Do you think we're going to see uh, any type of kind of a postmortem or forensics on the the earliest days of of uh, of when we were seeing people um, have spasms and drop dead in Wuhan and those that was January 23rd and 24th of 2020 and those stories being permitted um, to um, you know propagate and diffuse until they were getting millions and millions of views and it certainly influenced of course you know American responses and the perceptions and and yep. such so do you think we're going to see there something there so I'll tell you, I can tell you two things. Number one, Elon is very interested in this question. Uh, it's like a priority for him to to try to um, uncover sort of the mysteries of COVID messaging. Now, none of us work for him, so that doesn't obligate any of us to to look in that direction. Like as you can see from what I've been doing, like yeah, I, I've kind of gone in other directions. But um, I know people are interested in it. Uh, the one of the problems with it though and this gets back to what i was talking about before with the the architecture is that um we think we've identified where complaints about pretty much everything else come from like we can see requests to take down people related with accounts related to the ukraine war um, we can see Russiagate stuff. We can see domestic violent extremism requests. We can see, uh, you know, fake news, uh, you know, sort of Trumpian uh, misinformation type requests. But the COVID stuff doesn't seem to be coming through that DHS FBI route that I'm talking. I was talking about before. Um, at least I'm, I'm not seeing it. So that leads me to think that it's coming through some other avenue. And we haven't found it yet. I mean, that's, um, you know, but the, my frustration with this is that I think that if I could talk to the right fired employees from Twitter, I could probably figure it out pretty quickly. But um, I, I don't know who those people are. Uh, and we, ha we haven't had a whole lot of luck turning up uh, where all that took place, if that, if that answers your question. Thanks, Adam. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. Cool. You're you're really generous with your time, by the way, Matt. Thank you very no, much sir. for that. Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> Harold, um, you're next, and then after you is name redacted. You guys can go in in order. Matt, thank you for being here tonight. I've just got no, a couple of questions and a couple of answers for some other people. I know that the question had been posed as to where Jim Baker landed after leaving Twitter. And from what I can see, he's still a lecturer at Harvard giving a mm. class on Monday nights. And it's really interesting the way they phrase his bio on Harvard's website as a expert in Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. But they negate talking about his time at FBI. They limit it to talking about DOJ. I found that a little interesting. Hmm. But as far as I can see, he, he appears to still be with Lothar as a, as a contributing editor there and very deep into Lothar, which is why I'm particularly interested in seeing his emails while at Twitter. Right. Are all going to be released as a bulk, or are they going to come out in in small sections, or are they just going to be withheld? Uh, no, I mean, we'll, we'll get to them for sure. Um, I I wasn't the, the 
the reporter who asked for that batch. Um, I, I can, I can see them, but that wasn't my, my next project. Um, but I there's like, those... there's like 58,000 of them or something like that. So that's, that's good because I think they're going to lead us places that we haven't yet seen that we should be going. Well, Particularly well, these connections at the DOJ and at FBI and at Harvard and at Lawfare. I think that there's more players involved in this yet that we haven't found. And I think his email is going to show us that. Well, hope, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, so some lawyers are, are, you know, lawyers for a reason, although he has a record of not being the most careful and most discreet lawyer. So he has a habit of showing up everywhere where there's a fire. From yeah. being a coworker, a student in Hennessy at NSA, to later on moving from NSA to FBI as an FBI general counsel and as subject matter expert in FISA, which just happened right. to be abused against all of their political enemies, and then moving from there after being fired from the FBI under a cloud of investigation to Twitter. And right. I just cannot help but think that there's going to be connections within these emails that, that span all of those. Yeah, um, I, I think that's right. Um, he's a fascinating character. Um, and uh, I was actually looking at something else today and I happened to stumble upon like the, the hey, everybody, let's, you know, let's welcome Jim Baker uh, email. And I can, <laughs> I can actually read this to you. It's on my screen right now. Um, in time-honored Tweagle tradition, I, I don't know what Tweagle is actually, here are two truths and a lie about Jim. Um, he had his first marathon in his 50s. He had lunch with Groucho Marx. He has a tattoo of Bruce Springsteen. Uh, and I don't know the answer. So um, two of those things That's are true. fascinating. Do you know where that line originally came from? <laughs> what? That was a question that the Soviet analysts used to ask right, each other yes. the first day of the morning. It was made famous by Robert Hansen, the FBI right. spy who was arrested. Yeah, the one I remember that from Breach, the the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's funny though. If, if two of those things are true, that's pretty funny. I'm, I'm assuming the marathon is one of them, but the other one is uh, is interesting. Thanks, Finch. Um, name, go ahead. Hey, Matt. Um, thank you for all the work you're putting into into this. Um, thank you. Be hiring. <laughs> um, so you uh, commented earlier about. Uh, former FBI agents working at Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw the news that Jim Baker had uh, was interfering with the first releases. Well, we don't know the... that, uh, just to be clear. We just know that he was there. Okay. Well, there was, yeah. yeah. Well, when that story came out and he was, you know, exited or whatnot, I I did a, um, a quick search on LinkedIn and I found that there were 15 other FBI agents that are working at Twitter or yeah. former FBI agents. I did a thread on that. It went pretty viral. And, um, I think, and I, saw I think, thread. Yep. yeah, I think in one of your subsequent releases or someone else's, there was one email, uh, when Matt Williams had joined and, you know, he had reached out to Jim Baker and then I don't know if you had written it or someone else. And then there was also disclosure that the FBI's or the, that were at Twitter had set up their own private Slack group. Oh, I didn't see that. That one I didn't know about. Uh, is that Tracy? Is that right? Or am I just imagining? 
Oh, don't put me on. I remember that. I remember, <laughs> remember that. that. I remember that being. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, discussed. I don't remember who, which Twitter files that was or who wrote it, but yeah, there was. That a, sounds like Schellenberger's, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't. I didn't do that one. So if you if you want to follow me, I have a couple other things I want to ask you, or maybe can help lead you sure. to other is it, things. Is it at name redacted two four seven? Oh, okay. So I did uh, three three threads. Um, the first one was the FBI and uh, with all the former FBI agents at Twitter. The next one was Facebook, which I think is even bigger of a story. Um, the head of trust and safety there is a former CIA officer, 17 years. His name is Aaron Berman. I don't know if that's the name that you redacted in uh, number 16 of your thread today, but I know uh, that him and Yoel uh, followed each other on Twitter and Aaron did have a Twitter account and tweeted that he's friends with trust and safety at Twitter. No, so that, I don't, that was the right person. That, that was the same person. There, there, there are a couple of other people that Yoel was, was um, on the horn with pretty fr- frequently. Okay. So one other thing I want to just throw out there is the heads of trust and safety at Google and Facebook are all Ex CIA, <laughs> so and they're in the threads. So I'll I'll DM them to you. Excellent. Um, and my suggestion, I mean, you, I know you, I don't know how many things you're working on, but I would definitely, if I had access to what you did, I would be looking at email communications between trust and safety in both in all three companies because these are ex CIA officers and. While Yol and Twitter are getting inundated with requests from FBI and other agencies, were they also getting sort of like, you know, played or, you know, from the people at Facebook and Google? We, we, we've seen a little bit of that where where there'll be an informal communication, like, for instance, from an old FBI colleague to Baker. Um, there's a CIA person who was pretty high ranking on um, at Twitter uh, who would occasionally pop in to the trust. Uh, that's Jeff Carlton. Uh, no, uh, uh, I wouldn't say it even, even if you got it right, but that, that it was in it. Um, but uh, cause I, I don't think it's out there and I'm, I'm a little nervous about um, yeah, if it's not out there. I wouldn't say it. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, the company was, they joked about it internally a lot on email that were really indiscreet about it. Um, but he would pop in every now and then and sort of say things, um, during moderation discussions and make suggestions. Um, but you know, honestly, I, I, I'm not seeing that kind of, um, takeover from within process. It, it's really much more overt. It feels like to, to me. The, the one thing, um, I will say is that there's, there seems to have been somebody who's like advised them on how to phrase their terms of service, uh, in certain areas, um, which is something that government and other, uh, places around the world have done. Like there's been coordination between, uh, law enforcement officials and these companies and, and to guide how they write their terms of service. And then what you, what you get is what you, the same thing you see in with Twitter, which is the FBI in, in every single communication says, we think that this 
um, violates your terms of service, uh, yeah. or that, or that so and so is a state actor intent on performing cyber operations, which is just, just happens to be exactly the language they use in their internal guidance. So, um, that's interesting. We haven't found, we haven't found exactly how they, they came, got around to, you know, came to write, um, all that stuff themselves internally, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some input there, but yeah. the thing, they don't, they don't have to be really covert about it. Like that's the thing that's so crazy about this story is that they're openly saying all kinds of stuff, you know, um, like they aren't concerned about trying to keep it on the down low. Um, you know, we, 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 we want you to take this, this account off Adam Schiff calls up and says, I want you to take this journalist off. Like, I mean, it's really much, it's much more low tech than you would expect. Is, well, they is got, they, they obviously got pretty comfortable because they were meeting the FBI requests for so long. So oh, they started yeah. hitting them up. Yeah. yeah. And no accountability I, I just, at all. Right. I just think I really would check out, I'll, I'll DM you the thread on Facebook. I would really check because Aaron Berman put a tweet out. His his account is private now after my thread. Uh, but he, he tweeted out, you know, a message, you know, to my friends at Trust and Safety at Twitter, you know, thanks for all your hard work, blah, blah. I would really take a look at any communications coming from Facebook, specifically Aaron Berman, to anyone at Trust and Safety, because he's a former 17-year CIA analyst, a very high-up guy, so... Interesting. I will definitely take a look. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for your um, answers. Thanks. Thank you. Name redacted. And thanks for that super great thread you did a couple of weeks back. Um, Thank you. Tara, you're, you're, you're on. And sorry for the wait. No worries at all. Well, I don't mind. And the questions have been, I mean, everything. And Matt, thank you for your time. But the questions have been phenomenal. I mean, you guys, it feels like you're taking the thoughts right from my mind that I've been wondering this entire time so it's really cool to hear it straight from matt himself um i have just a couple questions and i'll try to keep it short and sweet but mainly how does this importance compare to the rest of your career and everything you've done um and what is it like to deal with if there is any uh backlash from your counterparts or i guess uh you know other people in the field have you experienced political backlash um or anything along those lines uh, those are great questions. I would I would say that this is the most in, in terms of, um, you know, I've broken news before. I mean, I've done done whistleblower stories and things that I thought were exciting at the time, but nothing like this. I mean, this is this is absolutely unique. Uh, you know, instead of getting one handful of documents, you're getting just a mountain of stuff, and I, I think in addition to kind of the um, ability to sort of tell a secret history. Um, I mean, I remember reading that book by Procopius once when I was a kid, the secret history. And, uh, um, and it's a little bit like that, right? It's, it's like the, the, these documents are telling uh, a version of American history that we missed for years, right? We just didn't get to see it. Um, it's extraordinary. It, 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 in, in that sense, it's, it's by far the most exciting thing um, that I've covered. Um, I've covered a lot of interesting stuff before, but nothing, nothing in terms of like the secrecy aspect like this. Um, in terms of the blowback, uh, 
some of that is to be determined, unfortunately. I mean, there's been a lot of weird stuff from colleagues um, that I've gotten and the, the, the sort of mainstream media um, blowback on this has been way more intense than I expected. And I expected it to be bad. So uh, it, it, it's, it's strange um, for sure. But that, that, uh, that in a way that tells you that you're kind of over the right material, I think. So, over the target. Yeah. You're over yeah, the target exactly. for sure. I just wanted to say thank you so much for putting your neck on the line, for putting yourself out there and sort of taking one for the team. I know it's best that Elon did it this way in order to avoid litigation, but at the same time, it sort of puts you at risk of the same thing. So I just want to thank you. I cannot, I mean, I think all of us here cannot thank you enough for doing that. And just, I'm sorry that you're experiencing the the blowback like that, no, but just know that you have a ton, a ton of supporters. <laughs> yes. Good. Okay. Awesome. I hope you, honestly, you deserve like all the Pulitzer Prize. Nobel Peace Prizes, all of it. And unfortunately, we know how that goes. So I just want to say you, we all, you know, cannot enough in running spaces. I run into a lot of people like Name Redacted here who have so much valuable information to pound to you. So I just appreciate you coming to spaces, communicating with all of us and making connections with people who might have pertinent information to share with you guys as you work through all of this. So thank you. No, thank you, and, and absolutely, I, I would love to. Uh, you know, any way you, you you all can help me, that that would be most appreciated because this is overwhelming. So this is what we do: send it along. <laughs> <laughs> we spent years doing it, and we'll continue. So, uh, Matt, Excellent. just uh, shoot me a follow, and I'll DM you the uh, information. Absolutely, thanks, name. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right. Well, thank. Uh, um, I've got to tuck my kids into to to bed. So, um, is do we have any more uh, questions? I think Fool Nelson has one uh, oh, okay. for you, yep. for you real quick, and we'll we'll let you go. You spent an hour with us. It's been oh. it's been wonderful. It's okay. All right. Hey, hey welcome back, cool. Crazy. By the way, hey Matt. Um, <laughs> so I'm done. It's going great, man. You've been doing great work. Um, so my first question, it doesn't have to do with this uh, batch. It has to do with a couple months back about Hunter Biden. <clears throat> and there's that email between Elvis Chan and Yoel Roth, <clears throat> like the day before the New York Post article drops. And he says something like, I'm sending you 10 documents, something like that. Oh, and then yeah, boom, the next that. day. Do you have those documents? We don't. And uh, uh, we don't. we don't expect that they'll be retrievable because... That's what I'm saying. I was going to ask, are those part of the documents that, that Elon was hinting to that might be deleted? Yeah, so those were sent by Teleporter. And Teleporter has this sort of Mission Impossible deal where um, when you open a document, like it, it, a timer starts. And after a certain period of time, it just sort of vanishes. So I, I suppose they probably could be retrieved somehow, but um, it's not obvious. And we, we've we've seen like the shadow of them. We see we see we've seen where they are, um, but there's nothing there that we can we've been able to open. Got it. Well, that sucks. Shout out to Kingmaker for that question. My other question is: I saw in this batch today, um, there's like one little email with um, Infraguard met- mentioned, mm-hmm. and uh, some North California, some other thing, right? I would suggest like we've I've, I've come across a Infraguard and a couple of these other public private partnerships between like 
these U.S. private companies and like Twitter, cyber companies, Twitter, Facebook, whoever, and uh, the FBI. Um, another one is like the NCFTA, the National Cyber Forensics and something other thing. I don't know if there's like a middleman relationship between that ever, but I don't know if you can look at a couple of those pr- public private um, um, partnerships with Twitter, because once I saw InfraGuard pop up, I'm like, there could be another layer that we're missing between those guys. Um, I don't know if you probably haven't looked into that, but I just saw that pop up and I'm like, that would be a different avenue to search, uh, to scoop up some other than missing stuff. <clears throat> yeah. So we've seen InfraGuard uh, pop up in different places in that particular context. Oddly enough, it, it wasn't FBI. It was DHS. Um, okay. Because the FBI was explaining uh, that the Northern California uh, task force was part of this DHS system called HISN. I forget what that stands for. Um, yeah. They had these multiple platforms that they used to transfer uh, requests. It's really interesting how they did it. It's, it's basically like this sort of catch-all um, uh, system where I think like an outside contractor collects uh complaints from state and municipal governments and then it goes to this to the DHS which in turn uploads it to this one-way terminal that then goes to uh Twitter and somewhere in there is a private contractor maybe it's in for because we we know that they do it for the FBI um but but it, it's possible that they're um that well, they were definitely involved in this Northern California thing, so they had to be in there somewhere. But yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. Got it. Then my last, um, I mean, I'm very interested in sort of like the hacktivism that happens on Twitter with Goose for 2.0, like mm-hmm. shadow brokers and other things. I mean, I know you're not going to have like a lot of time to look at that stuff, but I'd be like very interested if you can if you could ever look into that because I mean, obviously, you have access, and I don't know anybody else who does. But the hacktivism <laughs> that ha- has happened on Twitter. From Goose for 2.0 to DC leaks to to shadow brokers to uh, the list goes on. I mean, anonymous. The list goes on and on, and that's like a treasure trove you have access to. But um, yeah, keep doing great work. You don't have to. Obviously, I you probably don't have all the access in the world, but that would be my dream if you could ever do that. But yeah, uh, no. I, I just want to thank you so much for doing what you're doing. You're freaking amazing. And okay. uh, thanks, fool. Yeah. And, and by the way, you bring up an interesting question about those ten documents, and I just got a. Uh, text from a good friend of mine who makes a good point that actually um, I had forgotten about uh, and also um, I I had been reminded of yesterday by uh, an FBI agent who I interviewed a little little while ago, which is that some of these forms of communication between the FBI and Twitter seem maybe to skirt legality because they're not preserving the communications. Um, so for right, instance, it should be like foyable, I would imagine if right, Chan yeah. is sending that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so why, why, why are they sending disparate messages? Why is it going? Why are they using encrypted um, platforms to, ha- to have these meetings? Uh, those are some good questions. I don't, I don't know the answers to those. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I've been I've been so busy just trying to uh, plow through all this stuff and just like try to get the basic context of it. But there's going to have to be a layer of understanding um, where and when they might have been breaking the law. 
whether they went to outside counsel to advise on this, um, you know, all that stuff is going to have to be looked at. It's going to take a long time. So, um, uh, I apologize for not knowing it yet, but th- those are good. Qu- I mean, I think that it's a really good question. Um, if it's a government agency, it should exist, right? So, uh, why isn't it there? Thanks, Matt. Hey, awesome. Matt, um, I know Undead had a question. I know we're, we're keeping you, but I know uh, I see Tom Fitton just showed up. Maybe could you take a quick one? Yep. Mm-hmm. I can take two. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, cool. Uh, Tom, you there? He like legit just dropped as soon as you said his name. Oh, there he is. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to add him right now. It's, it said go. requested. So, all right. Um, Undead, you want to go ahead? Yeah, that, that'd be great. Uh, thanks again, Matt, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, oh. Quick question. I mean, obviously we're seeing a lot of communications and requests um, being certain accounts being flagged across, you know, whether it's COVID or, or what, whatever topic. Do you have any indications that some of these government agencies have a more direct access to data streams or do you, you know, in the case of like Adam Schiff, you know, maybe he's just sitting there manually searching things, but do you have any indications that any government agencies have access to some of the actual data streams and they're actually able to, to data mine and navigate um, or index a little bit? So, okay, so there's a couple of things about this. Number one, we know that um, that the, the government is getting fire hose information in the uh, in the back end from from Twitter through uh, subcontractors like Data Miner and Zero Fox. Um, they're also getting some information directly from the, the companies. Like, there's this one really cryptic email where uh they're talking about um what they would give to data miner or zero fox and then they're saying you know uh are they giving more than we would give to the DOD or to the FBI um and and we're not really sure exactly what that means but, but what it, we think it means is that um in addition to the contracts that we know about cuz you can read about these enormous Firehose data contracts that uh, companies like Zero Fox and Data Miner uh, strike with these with these firms um, that they're that they're also getting some kind of direct access to the back end data from uh, from Twitter. The other thing is I, I, um, the analysis in a lot of cases. I think it's just it's dumber than you'd think. Like the FBI clearly in uh, the run up to the 2020 election was just doing straight keyword searches for the for the date November 4th. Um, they were do, just doing straight term searches because they were looking for anybody who was tweeting like vote on Wednesday. You know, in other words, we, we, Democrats, please vote on Wednesday. Republicans, please vote on Wednesday. And they they turned in every single one of those people. Um, so there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these requests just about that one, that one joke. And then in terms of the, like the foreign agencies, my, my strong impression is that they're just collecting accounts they don't like. And then saying, we assess that these are connected to the internet research agency because they don't have any, 
they don't seem to have any need to show proof. They just send a piece of paper that says we ex- we we assess that these are um, far you know foreign state actors, hostile state actors that are doing cyber operations, and then they'll just send you a big Excel spreadsheet. So what does that mean? Um, I don't know. Uh, they also could be getting the subcontractors to do the analysis for them. Uh, but I did talk to some people in some of these agencies, and the, the answer I consistently got was, uh, I would be shocked if the if the government had the capability to do sophisticated analysis of these uh, things by themselves. So, well, great. Um, so, final question here, Tom. Uh, I see you're back. But before you ask Tom, did you get the Russia Gate binder? You, the FBI, the, you know, the court ordered them to hand it over on the, on, on December thirty first. Did you get it? I don't think I got it. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because everyone was tweeting at me about binders. And I'm like, what What the heck is this all about? <laughs> I, I was waiting for um, um, the uh, the gun documents from the Secret Service about poor Hunter's gun. But that's another issue. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, Matt, we really appreciate this. You know, as someone who looks at a lot of documents and I both envy and don't envy you in terms of, <laughs> you know, uh, being able to get into this gold mine of information. And I, I, you know, I guess, you know, we always want to know what else is out there. And I guess there are a few questions I have in that regard and you, you, you know, disclose as much as you're able. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got, I guess specific questions and kind of a general question too. You talk about in the Adam Schiff tweet that, uh, and you may have kind of uh, kind of semi answered this just a second ago about all of these individuals who were, um, you say, an astonishing variety of requests from officials asking for individuals they didn't like to be banned. Mm-hmm. That suggests that there were more people than uh, Schiff in terms of the American government that you saw were doing this. Is is that a fair characterization? And were there more? There were more. Um, the the reason I sometimes in some cases I didn't do it because I, I didn't publicize it because they were talking about accounts that were being genuinely abusive. In other cases, uh, they were former officials, so it wasn't as craven. Like this was the best example that I could find right. of somebody doing something that um, was unequivocally shady, right? Um, but there is, you know, I talked previously about how the way that I'm kind of doing this is that it is, um, I have this whole list of, you know, set of buckets that I drop all the documents into if any one of them fits. And I do have a, um, a bucket for what I call like improper asks. Um, and that's filling up a little bit and that can be, that can be anything like that can be. Uh, you, you know, the FBI asking for information that it's not entitled to without a subpoena, um, or it can be, uh, you know, somebody who's a public figure who's asking, who's making a moderation request that I don't understand yet. Um, and so there's more of those, and there's certainly a lot of high profile people complaining about stuff. Let's put it that way. Um, there's a couple of people on MSNBC who are quite active in regaling. Um, regaling Twitter with requests, uh, but I haven't gotten to the bottom of what exactly those incidents are about yet. So, um, 
I, I didn't put those up, but there's more for sure. But uh, but the shift thing is the worst one that I've been able to find. You know, from what I saw, you know, based on my experience at Judicial Watch, there's significant civil and criminal liability issues raised by these documents, not only for the FBI, but, you know, for former Twitter management and mm-hmm. in many ways must be putting his own company head on the block in terms of legal liability here. But what struck me here as well is, is and I kind of want to get your insight as to what your visibility has been in to the other companies, you know, Facebook and, and Google and such, which, you know, comparatively speaking, the sense the, the, the censorious impact is ex- exponentially greater at right. Facebook and YouTube. And, and what, what insights do you have there as to, uh, you know, was there, was there significant pushback? Uh, did you see? Did you see that uh, this is going to be a a, a a massive scandal if expanded to Facebook and YouTube, or is it? Uh, you know, just I'm interested in your insights there. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, I don't really. Uh, we only see it occasionally, like you know, in the planning for things like this um, industry task force. Facebook shows up a lot. We see Twitter kind of following the lead of Facebook a lot um I, I guess that's to be expected because facebook's a you know sort of a bigger company twitter internally they talk a lot about how um their influence may seem outsized because they have so many journalists in the platform uh they're they're pretty cognizant of the fact that compared to uh google and um and Facebook, they're they're kind of a distant third in terms of real world impact, which is one of the reasons they were upset in the fall of 2017 after being dragged to the hill because their their impression was that they were uh, grilled the second hardest uh, with Google a distant third. They didn't think that was fair, um, but we we don't have a we don't see a whole lot about what Google and Facebook are doing other than occasionally they show up in communications about the government groups, the, the sort of joint government groups. And, and I will say that I've, a lot of these communications have raised questions about, like, uh, you know, is this behavior that you would normally expect to see from competitors? Uh, and it doesn't seem like that to me, although, you know, who knows? But it, it's it's very strange. Um but I certainly get the impression that Facebook is the alpha dog in this in this whole thing. Well, I'm sure the antitrust division will get right on it. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's all hold our breath. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. You've been great to take this much time with us. Tuck those kitties in and keep doing this hard work. And honestly, if you have stuff you want to farm out, shoot us a follow. You know, if you need help or whatever, I think that. Um, one of the things that somebody who I'm, um, you know, very friendly with in the journalism space said was it feels almost like it's kind of funneled and it should be more kind of widespread the access to this stuff. And I understand why they're doing it this way. So I don't necessarily agree. But if you are overwhelmed and you want a bunch of really damn ass good researchers to help you, there are a bunch of them up on this panel right now. So. Well, thank you. I, I, I may take you up on that offer. It's, uh, it's getting to be a little overwhelming. I, I, I think. You know, I can't speak for for Twitter and for for Elon, but um, I kind of understand the media strategy here a little bit. I think I think it's been, you know, there's been a conscious decision to to um, certainly to keep the story away from like mainstream media actors, which I think has been smart. Uh, 
but I don't, I don't necessarily see any reason why it, it can't be expanded to more people. There's there's more than enough material, so um, I'll definitely keep that in mind, and maybe we could uh, maybe we could collaborate some. Fantastic! You have a you have a great night, Hans. I'll let you speak last. It's your it's your space. Goodness. <laughs> Well, it's our space. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I, you know, you got your kids. So, yeah, again, thanks so much for your time, being so generous with your time. And, you know, maybe we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Hans. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye, guys. Um, Hans, do you want to keep going? Because I, I, I have so much crap on my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I do as well. Like, So, first of all, I think... Um, if uh, the stenographers, uh, stenographers of the world were, you know, doing their job, they would, um, as journalists, uh, they would listen to the past hour of this, or past hour and a bit, and write a story because Matt broke a lot of news. I mean, the one that jumps out at me, like, immediately is we got all of Jim Baker's emails. <laughs> I almost fell off my chair here. Yeah. It was fantastic. And, you know, Matt shared so much amazing information um not only that but also about the process i mean he basically said that this is this is a free-for-all he has not been uh, kind of blocked in any way and it's more about the the technicalities of, of getting the the info because there's just so much of it and he's kind of reduced to these keyword searches whereas you you really need to be forensic at this point you need to have a big team like an accounting firm or whatever, and just get, just literally go through every single uh, email and, and message and whatever there is. Yeah, he's basically f- doing FOIA to, to Twitter, who's actually responding. Tom knows a little bit about that. Um, <laughs> I'm glad to be in a space where I can talk to Tom for a minute and not be cut off. That'll be great. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's your microphone, Tracy. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, the the thing that strikes me is the Guccifer 2 stuff, because literally what what I think it was Fool that was saying before, if you if you can debunk, in quotes, the Guccifer 2 myth, the rest of all of Spygate implodes upon itself immediately. And one of the things I highlighted in my thread today was the fact that I don't know how many people realize that Jim Comey sacrificed the CIA to keep that under wraps. That's the decision that was made at that high of a level. He was granted, you know, there was an immunity deal being worked out with Julian Assange from WikiLeaks where Assange was going to hand him where that information came from. And he turned it down in favor of letting the Vault 7 leaks go out. That's massive. So what what do you mean by by the uh, the Guzmar 2 leaks being... Well, well, a fraud. What, what? Explain that to me. I so, mean, I think I know, but I, you know, it's it's been a while since I've been swimming in that. Yeah. So supposedly, Guccifer Two was a Russian hacker that was responsible for the DNC leaks, which right. were the first batch before Podesta's email came out, where we learned about how they were pushing out Bernie Sanders and, you know, the the internal stuff from the DNC. So. Right. This character, Guccifer 2, was, I think, created to be the front for that. And it's woven all throughout the Mueller special counsel investigation. Um, They spend a a ridiculous amount of time tracing that back to, you know, apartment 26, fancy bear and cozy bear and trying to make it a Russian up. But it was really, was really kind of spearheaded by CrowdStrike. And, and that opens up a whole new can of worms. But this Guccifer 2 account was dissected. Um, numerous different ways there's a boatload of information out there about it uh they never were able to 
come to any conclusion about it of of any fi- in any finite way in the Mueller report other than to say, well, this is a Russian hacker. But, Tom, let me know what you think and everyone else up here, too. You know, a couple months before Guccifer 2 shows up, they go over to uh, Romania and they grab Guccifer 1, who you're very familiar with, Tom, and, and they bring him back to the United States and they have him in a room and they question him. And then they hand him a plea deal. He pleads guilty and they ship him back over to Romania. So they extradited this guy over here to talk to him to then just send him back less than 48 hours later to go back to jail in Romania. So weird. Yeah, what we found interesting about that was, uh, you know, uh, some of you may be familiar that we we tried to investigate what material was out there on the dark web. The dark web isn't isn't a non-public area in the sense that people can't access it. It's just a, a difficult to public access area, and uh, and you can see elements of uh, of, of uh, hacking activity because materials are posted up there and other things. And you know, one of the things we noticed is that the uh, even after there were these you know these arrests of the bad guys supposedly responsible for the hacking, is that the the, the servers associated with that activity seem to be active still. And not only in Romania but elsewhere, and, and we found indications uh, that uh, some of Hillary Clinton's server material may have been hacked by the Russians, and including classified information. And we tried to share that, and we did share that with the FBI through Peter Strzok's oper- operation, and they didn't care anything about it. So I, I thought it was interesting that they were, more, you know, that certain hacks were of interest to them, but others weren't because. Obviously, if Hillary Clinton's information had been um, hacked by the Russians, uh, that would have raised the legal liability for Mrs. Clinton in significant ways. So uh, it, it's curious. But, you know, and, you know, this is all this is all kind of a background for why they didn't want anyone talking about any of this in 2020 again. Right. You know, this leaks through into the Ukraine issue. And uh, yep. we see today with Schiff and the impeachment and his desperation to cover up his office's operations against Trump uh, by censoring a journalist, you know, our friend Paul Sperry and countless others. It's an incredible series of documents in that regard. It, it, it's been the same op the entire time. They just shift the reason is basically what it is. Har- Harold, go ahead. Well, this comes back to not just Jim Comey, but the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence as well, because we both know that Warner and Warner's lawyer Waldman was also involved in this. They had set up a queen for a day arrangement for Assange, which is what Comey killed. Correct. Yes, Adam Waldman, who also happens to be Johnny Depp's attorney that testified in that uh, defamation case, very odd character, was connected to and signal messaging back and forth with Warner at the Senate Select Committee on the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee and was also working with Oleg Deripaska, the Russian oligarch, and Christopher Steele at the same time as he was working with Julian Assange. It's a very, very odd chain of, of it almost, stuff. It almost seems like they thought they were going to get Assange to say what they wanted to blame Trump. But Comey knew beforehand what he was really going to say, and that's why he killed the deal. And it, it all, again, it all hinges on the fact that they were hanging on Russia hacking the DNC, which really, I, I truly believe, didn't happen. Um, undead, and go ahead. And there was no way that they were going to let 
Comey, Comey was not going to let him come here and say that because it would have killed the Russiagate conspiracy right then and there as soon as Assange opened his mouth. Correct, which is why they then allowed this. Like Assange basically used Vault 7 as a leverage tool to be able to get around, you know, I, I won't drop this huge, massive hacking tools file I have on the CIA if. And Comey ended up killing the whole thing and saying, just release it. And he did. Um, sorry, Undead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to jump in um, to pick up on a couple of points that you, you referenced. And, and this goes to a kind of a deeper understanding that's still uh, present throughout the public in that a lot of people still believe a lot of reliance was placed on the work of CrowdStrike. And it's just not true. Um, you can look at the exhibit, Exhibit 147, the Sussman trial. And as late as October 2016, they were still asking for the server images from CrowdStrike. But then on October 7th, they actually officially attributed the hack to Russia and they didn't have anything from CrowdStrike. They didn't have, they had a redacted report that wasn't even completely unredacted. And I mean, through, through my FOIA work and, and some of the open records requests that I put in, I, I think, you know, the, the richest field of mine that is still to, to, to come, um, is going to be Manos and Tanakakis and David Dagan. And, um, a lot of you might, be familiar with those names because they were associated with the the alpha allegations. Um, there's a lot of issues around those alpha allegations. I don't want to necessarily get into the alpha side of it, but um, something that you know Margaret Cleveland and I discovered in the spring was that these two individuals proceeded to go and work for Special Counsel Mueller, which um, raises a lot of red flags because, as a lot of you will remember, Allison Sands and the FBI was they were trying to interview David Dagan the whole time because he allegedly had writ written the Alpha Bank white paper that was given to the FBI. So the whole time, he was actually working for Special Counsel Mueller, and these taskings were coming down through DARPA. And um, just recently, I got a new batch of dark documents that kind of throw this into a wider controversy. Um, one thing that Jer Jerry Dunleavy did was he got DARPA on record in the spring saying, no, they didn't have anything to do with the hack of the DNC, but records I just received within the last couple of weeks say that um, they were doing this work via DARPA uh, for Special Counsel Mueller. They were they were laundering the information, if you will, and maybe that's a poor description, uh, through contacts at DARPA, and then it was going to the Department of Justice and Special Counsel Mueller, and they did work on the, the attribution for the DNC hack, and that's just a big red flag. You know, I'm, I can't say there's something wrong. I can't say there's something illicit or improper, but it is very alarming to me that they are associated with alpha allegations and they are perhaps responsible for uh, a significant amount of work product around the, the attribution for the DNC hack. And ultimately that work product is probably sequestered in the, uh, in the case, in the GRU indictment case that Mueller filed and that's why it's been protected from congressional inquiries and FOIA. And that's why nobody's and known about this. Correct me if I'm wrong. That all began in the in the very early days through Brennan, correct? Uh, that's a that's sort of a different side of it. So um, my understanding through all the, the documents I've obtained, Manos and Tanakakis and David Dagan, they're, they're Georgia Tech researchers. They might be on a different side of this in that, uh, the taskings came through the Department of Justice to DARPA to them, and then it flowed back upwards. But there is another side of this, and there are some allegations we have not corroborated 
that Rodney Joffe also has a role in the attribution and tracing the hack of the DNC uh, through internet sensors that he, he maintains through Packer Forensics and other companies that he owns. And he has a significant role in the attribution for the DNC hack as well uh, in tracing the hack back to Russia. Um, so in, on that side, there are some theories that Joffe might be um, part of some of the fusion cells that were, were set up um, towards the end of 2016 and into 2017. So uh, that, that's the working theory right now. We don't have, uh, we really don't have any documents as it relates to Joffe's involvement yet, but um, that I, that's where I think the next shoes are to drop. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, you know, going back to your initial point, Tracy, about the DNC leaks and such, you know, it's important to kind of be aware of that issue generally, the specifics aside, is that the the left and Hillary Clinton and the Obama operation and their allies that remained in place after Trump took office, they weave this theory that but for the hacks – uh, but for uh, that, they uh, Hillary would have been president, right? So, uh, and they knew uh, that in the meantime, they were also putting out this uh, fake Russia information. Of course, they needed to maintain that falsehood as well by suggesting that one of the pillars of the Russia collusion smear with Trump, or one of the pillars of Russia's uh, collusion with Trump, were uh, the uh, Facebook uh, bots and, and Twitter bots and such, right? So uh, the problem that the Trump administration had is that his appointees, being as unimaginative and as fearful as they are, uh, believed all of that, right? They believed that the Russians, quote, interfered in the elections and these hacks were disruptive to the elections. Whether they're hacks or not wasn't was beside the point. They just believed it all. And so as a result, the entire intelligence apparatus and community happily said, oh, we're not going to let this happen again. And conveniently, not letting that happen again uh, was designed, uh, was also a code for we can't let Trump get elected again. And so all of that we're seeing in the Twitter files was a buildup to protecting democracy, as we you know now know famously that the outside leftists were pushing. But internally, you had these deep state operatives uh, with the support of Trump appointees who thought they were doing the Lord's work in censoring people uh, based on their theory that Russians were trying to mess with our elections and censoring uh, the Hunter Biden allegations uh, using that very basis as well. And uh, and it was all designed to pre- pre- prevent the reelection of Trump that they thought was, um, you know, that that uh, that should never have happened, at least as initial election should never have happened. But for, you know, this Internet operation being successful and this Russia operation being successful to get him into power. It's just incredible to see, uh, you know, the kind of the scandal is that you had Trump officials happily trying to censor uh, material to uh, try to protect Joe Biden from the consequences of his illicit activities. Well, I mean, they used it for the the impeachment. They used it for the Hunter Biden laptop. 
they, they've used the same mantra the entire time. And, and when Russia got played out, they turned to another blanket, you know, conspiracy theory bucket that they pulled from. Um, and it's all been the entire time so that nobody could could actually get out to the public what, what was actually going on. And I mean, how they ran unaccountable, even Matt said, nobody holds these, like they're talking to each other so openly and brazenly. Because there's no accountability. So that's the next question everybody wants to know. What the hell is going to be done about this at all, if anything? Well, problem is, as, as Tom just said, <laughs> these were Trump's people. <laughs> so you got the Biden people now, you have the Trump people back then, and it made no difference. And what's kind of lost in all this, Matt has some, had some really interesting emails today where Twitter folks were saying, well, they're asking for us to censor this guy and that guy, but they're actually sort of pro-Trump, so we probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> the point is, you should never do that, no, no matter who wants it for whatever reason. It, it's, it's unlawful. Just don't do it. I mean, it's unlawful for the government, not, not for Twitter. But the, um, the, the point that is, is sort of lost, I think, is that um, there, there were actual Trump people, and, and Tom just mentioned it, who advocated for this stuff. I mean, the, the State Department requests today that we just saw, that we got today, February 2020, March 2020, April 2020, this is Mike Pompeo. And he's asking for people to be censored. Um, you know, Russian disinformation, and just exactly the same playbook like the other side plays. So what hope is there if, yeah. if they're all playing the same playbook? The same way that Ratcliffe was asked by Maria Bartiromo directly, you were the DNI at this time, and he, he basically proclaimed he didn't know that any of this was happening. I find that super hard to believe, um, yes. but not completely unbelievable, to be honest, because all you need are a few of your higher-ups telling you one thing and going and doing something else behind your back, and you've got a recipe for disaster there. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Ray, Ray knew. Ray knew. Of course I mean, Ray knew. I mean, that came out of Chan's deposition from, from the uh, censorship case that None of these FBI, well, I, I doubt that was actually true in the end, given the volume, but they needed permission from the seventh floor before pushing this stuff off to Twitter. And, and understand that when we're talking about, like when Matt's talking about that, you know, kind of outside group that's coming in, these are all NGOs and, um, and you know, organizations receiving taxpayer dollars. And we learned this in that case, Missouri v. Biden. The reason why the Disinformation Governance Board was a thing was because CISA needed a way to almost be like a help desk for all of these censorship requests that were coming in from all over the government. And the, the social media companies were beginning to become overwhelmed with out of streamlined process to track everything. We saw a little bit of that today in Matt Taibbi's drop. So they wanted to form this Disinformation Governance Board to fund it make it trans, you know, make it so that the American public knew it was happening um, and could do nothing about it and then have a more streamlined way to, so to censor on social media. So that's still going on. I doubt they've stopped. Um, the Missouri v. Biden case is looking for a temporary injunction on all of this, and that'll be decided here shortly after some of the division, the, the deposition stop. But that's what the disinformation governance board was. It was their help desk. Yeah. Well, it continues. I mean, has Twitter turned off its portal? I don't know. Not, not that we know, no. And um, coming back to this government point, right, Trump government, Trump administration, Trump officials. So Richard Grenell, who we all love, right, um, 
here he was on April 30th, 2020. Trump had just said the virus came out of a lab. And he puts out a statement that the entire, I've just got got it in front of me here, the entire intelligence community, uh, blah, 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 concurs with the wide scientific consensus that COVID-19 was not man-made or genetically modified. (laughs) <laughs> this is April 2020. These are Trump's own people. Nothing against Grenell. I know he probably was misinformed or whatever, but that's the problem. The entire bureaucracy is hostile or was hostile. And well, if there's another Republican, it will again be hostile. And, and there just doesn't seem to be anything that can be done against that. Well, especially if the victims aren't interested in vindicating their own rights. I mean, we're talking about this fight in the House today. Uh, you know, the putative uh, one of the, one, you know, the putative speaker, Mr. McCarthy, he's been targeted for the last year and is still being targeted for jailing for daring to dispute or raise questions about the 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 uh, 2020 elections. And what has been his response? Nothing. Uh, you've seen these Twitter files come out over the last month. Has Has, has there been any significant response from the republicans on it uh, you know maybe comer says he's interested in looking into it but to okay. me this is kind of a crisis we're in where we have every major agency i don't know which ones haven't been involved i guess we'll find out the department of transportation or interior department figure out a way to get in on this we're but, censoring millions of americans in a way never seen before in american history and there's this casual you know oh no big whoop from a, from the republican leadership you know no one no wonder um you know, not many people are terribly encouraged by what they're going to what what they think is going to happen in the next two years in the House. Tom, one of the things that they found in Missouri v. Biden was that the CISA was coordinating with the censor, the Census Bureau to target Americans for censorship. So even the Census Bureau is involved in this at this point that we've learned through discovery. So it's 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 insanity. Um, well, and, and also, uh, Tracy, the, the states were operating with CISA, too, and that came that was clear today, too. But, you know, we had seen separately, well, you probably all know this California Secretary of State's case with D.C. Drano. They they censored him. We found those documents. Uh, they got his account taken down. They caused a Judicial Watch YouTube video about the election to be taken down. Iowa, run by Republicans, tried to get our stuff taken down off of Twitter because they didn't like what we were saying about the way Iowa was maintaining its election rolls. So not only we have these federal agencies going in, but the states also had this direct input through these portals and size as CISA, as you're talking about, uh, for for so-called election misinformation. And as we can see, you know, Twitter was kind of a resistor in some respects. Uh, the interesting thing about the Paul Sperry issue is that, you know, Cheramella is, uh, those of you who don't know, he was the alleged CIA guy who helped impeach Trump with this Ukraine call information. And uh, we weren't allowed to say his name on YouTube and Facebook. You couldn't even say it in Congress during the impeachment, but you could say it on Twitter. So, you know, Twitter had, you know, they, there was a little bit of an island of free speech on certain topics on Twitter, but, you know, it became pretty clear when it came to election issues, they, they were clamping down. I, I mean, I had, I was citing to a New York Times article and they even censored that. So even, even, even the New York Times, uh, you know, draw through their senses, through their, through their censors. Well, let's get back to Sarah here for a moment, because um, Matt had something on that today in in his first thread. And um, 
what was interesting, well, this was all interesting, but there was this part where Adam Schiff makes these requests for, well, or demands for, and you mentioned Sperry to get uh, thrown out of uh, off of Twitter, and and he got his he got his wish. Um, the other guy that's thrown in there, this is really interesting. The, the the names are sort of redacted, redacted, and then suddenly, sort of further down, the name Misko shows up, and I yeah. think that was just someone kind of forgot to redact it, maybe or so. Um, Sean Misko is part of the the Sierra gang who 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 were involved with the uh, with the first impeachment, um, and this guy is on the line with Twitter, having people people uh, censored. Well, as I noted, you know, not successfully in Twitter, right? But successfully, I would think in YouTube and Facebook, because I know those rules were, as I understood them, enforced at least with respect to Chiramella. And, and you know what Sperry's, Sperry's thesis was that Vindman and Chiramella were working with this staffer in Schiff's office to try to kind of launder this classified way, uh, information in a way as to protect all those involved from being prosecuted for laundering classified information and misusing it. And uh, that's what Schiff wanted shut down because he wanted the impeachment to free, be clean and he didn't want to have his operation, his dirty tricks operation against Trump exposed uh, because it probably, you know, frankly, there were criminal liability for all involved if Barr hadn't uh, refused to investigate uh, the release of classified information that was used to try to get Trump impeached. And they were trying to censor, censor anyone on Twitter. And I know they did it on Facebook and YouTube who mentioned Sarah Mello's name. I mean, an incredible development. Don't you think uh, a CIA person who's who get, you know, his name's public and we're not allowed to say it, even though he's involved in the impeachment of the president of the United States. Incredible. Um, now we know why. Yeah, and I, if you remember, the only reason that, that Trump was able to somewhat escape that unscathed is because he moved that transcript to a different location than where Vinman could get his hands on it. If, if that hadn't happened, uh, Schiff would have been able to lie with impunity without the public knowing what actually was said in, in, that, in that phone call. Um, Brick, you have your hand up, and then Harold and Tom, you've had your hand up the whole time, but you've been Oh, speaking. I'm sorry. I'll take it down. <laughs> I'm a little slow on some of this. Yeah, I just had one thing I wanted to say. Thank you for calling me, Tracy, and bringing me up here. I do appreciate it. It's been a great space, and I, I came into a little bit late. I can't wait to listen to the whole thing. So uh, one thing I just want to mention that, you know, Tom was talking about how the Republican leadership in the, in the House or Republican people in the House are not really making great inroads into what they're going to do with this information. I'm at least willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're involved in other things like determining who their speaker is going to be and, you know, who's going to be committee heads and things like that. After that's settled, if they haven't done anything in a week or two, I'm going to be more concerned, but I'll give them a little bit of rope there. And the, the other thing that I really want to talk about is because I, you know, I don't know what's already been mentioned, but I see this pattern. I'm sure we all see this pattern of the government increasingly becoming comfortable with going to Twitter about take care of this, take care of that. We need this down. We need this down. I can't wait to see what the end game is when they see the writing on the wall that Elon Musk could buy Twitter. I want to see, I can't wait to see those emails that are passed back and forth about this is going to get out. I want, I cannot wait to see the angst 
in those emails. That is going to be an incredibly fun chapter to read in this book. Right. And we, well, I, you know, just quickly, I mean, if the, if the Republicans haven't gotten it, they, they know what they're planning to do. The, the speaker is a, is irrelevant to that. This decision about what to do in terms of the investigations has largely been set. Right. And we didn't ask Matt, I don't recall anyone asking anyway about the DMs. Um, sort of, I guess he has not had, had access and I guess he wouldn't have, have access. And that would also throw up a lot of legal problems. But, um, you know, they're there and they're not encrypted. Yeah, I just like to, I mean, to, to just to get a picture of, you know, I, I can just envision the type of panic, the slow realization that it's actually going to happen. You know, the wind down, the, the, the lack of, you know, basically you're going to see, a, I would imagine you'd see maybe fewer requests. I mean, if you're going to see that, that's going to be kind of like a tacit admission that, uh, that maybe these requests are improper. If all of a sudden at a period of certain months they were at X and now they're at half X or a fraction of X, what caused that? And if there's anything other than just the fact that the, the company is soon to be owned by, by, by Elon, that's going to be an, int- an interesting indicator. It is. It is There's something else very interesting that was in the that, that ties in with that. That was in the um, in today's uh, release by by Matt, which is um, every single request uh, sent in to to ban people and to take down accounts and so on was prefaced with uh, Tom. You'll you'll love this with the, with the sentence. This information is provided only for intelligence purposes in an effort to develop potential investigative leads. <laughs> that's their disclaimer that's what they all put in there the fbi and dhs and cia and whoever as a means of claiming that this is nothing to do with first amendment no breaches no nothing um they're just trying to develop investigative leads that that's that, and then of course right below that it says please ban these people you know um we have kyle serafin in here who's raising his hand now he's uh one of the FBI whistleblowers who stepped forward to Project Veritas. Amazing guy. Lots of insight. Kyle, go ahead. Take the floor for a second. Hey, Aunt, you've honed in on something really important, I think. And this is uh, this is what the FBI does. This is something that is now sort of looks like it's across the intelligence community. I hadn't seen it from other agencies. But, you know, when the FBI is about to violate the First Amendment and uh, and they're going to create a case file or a um, or a uh, threat tag or they're going to identify symbols that are First Amendment protected. They let ahead, they go ahead and they put a caveat up there in this one little paragraph, and it just says, you know, we can't uh, initiate an investigation based on First Amendment protected activity. And by the way, here's a bunch of stuff that we could, we would do if we could, and we're going to do it anyway. And so there's something really, really unsettling about the idea that they are acknowledging that, in fact, they are doing something wrong. They are acknowledging the thing that they are violating, which is something that I've seen for a couple of years now when it comes to looking at different types of uh, counterterrorism cases. And, and they're going to just tread right past it because those are uh, lip service only. And what we see that is, is, is when you're talking about intelligence community people, because intelligence communities, uh, intelligence agencies in general, especially domestically, are not necessarily charged with doing operational work. But the problem is, is the FBI has the ability to do operational work because they have a law enforcement capacity, just like DHS. And so they're, they're going to um, have one side of the house say, hey, you know, you got to be careful of this thing because here's our caveat. And by the way, go do this. And then the operational side of the house goes and does it. And so you, you honed in on a, an excellent point there, 
you know, once you see them making that warning, it tells you that they that they know what they're doing is wrong and they're going to do it anyway. It's just really troubling stuff. But that gives them enough plausible deniability to skirt any accountability that could potentially come. I, I think the problem that they're going to have now is that there were there were literal threats made via email about legislation or, you know, um, sanctions and things like that if they didn't act in a certain way. Well, I mean, Tom said it earlier in one of the spaces that it's like gangster government. This is what they're – he had a different – maybe a slightly different terminology, but I totally agree. This is this is a, like a shakedown. It's a protection racket. It's you hold something over the head of uh, of the agency that you want to come and, and bend to your will or the, the, the private company rather. And, and as I've said in a couple of spaces now at this point, it's not common – for companies to to give up information voluntarily, they generally sign on behalf of either their customers or their user base. That's what's most common. And for you to see the opposite of that happening, where you have full compliance, and obviously it, it took some coercion and some movement to get them there. And I think that's what today's drop showed us, at least in the first part. Um, and, and the second shows that it was effective. But, you know, it's just not common that the companies bend over and hand things over to the government because they don't have to. That's the whole point. They have to go. There's a, there's a process and people are we're ignoring that. Well, you know, and, and that material they placed on on those that source information that that doesn't pr- protect them. It just highlights the fact that it's Privacy Act protected material or the, or certainly material that typically isn't shared with private entities in order to. Uh, take action against the individual. I, you know, it, there's there's nothing comparable, at least in my understanding of modern federal law enforcement, where this was taking place, where the FBI was casually investigating, you know, countless Americans and then asking someone to punish them through censorship and and sharing the results of those investigations in this casual way. Uh, you know, there's a real you know, that's a real crisis in terms of the operations of the FBI uh, that has to be addressed. And, you know, I don't pretend to be the smartest guy in the room here. It's just that I'm concerned that there's this obliviousness in this city to what we're seeing here. And, uh, you know, we're losing our country and losing our republic. But we see law enforcement agencies being used for political purposes like this. Uh, at the federal level, I mean, that, that, you know, that used to distinguish us, or at least we like to believe it distinguished us in the sense we didn't see it as directly as we see it here. Uh, but, uh, I mean, to see this being done so plainly with so little reaction from the establishment class uh, is, ex- is, ex- is exceedingly disturbing. No, you're uh, absolutely right. And the point you mentioned is so important about here. Um, a lot of folks have asked me over the like, last few weeks while these, you know, files have been coming out, like, well, wh- why, why isn't anyone complaining about France or, you know, Germany, India, whatever, all these countries who also petition or coerce Twitter, whatever the word is? And the answer is because they don't have a First Amendment. <laughs> There's nothing in those countries to stop the government from doing that. The United States is the sole country that has that. And that's so, so important. And it kind of doesn't have it anymore because we all heard Matt earlier talking about it, how it's just they they didn't care. They just they didn't even care about hiding it. They just went ahead and did they did did whatever they wanted to do. You know, Adam Schiff writes in and says, I want Paul Sperry thrown off. OK, Paul Sperry's thrown off. I mean, everyone so, was making requests for accounts to get banned and censored and 
Twitter was doing it. So, I mean, look at it from their angle. You know, if I work for the FBI, I would just keep asking too. Why not? I, I look at it even more important than free speech. If you talk about the COVID aspect of this, it was it was lives at stake that were taken. And that that it, it, it reaches a whole new level when when it gets to, to that. You know, the, it's I think it's much bigger than just a political attack, Tom. It's really the unelected bureaucratic intelligence community versus the American citizen who has a right to know. And they're taking that away from us because they're censoring the people that are telling. And so that's the biggest problem. It's, it's really an unelected class ruling the country um, with impunity and, and nobody in an elected capacity with the balls to step up and do anything about it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Undead. Yeah, I, I call it I call it not unconstitutional. I call it anti-constitutional. This is what we're seeing. Anti-constitutional uh, action by the government. Uh, Tom, can I ask you a question? Sure. I've been on some spaces with you, but um, I'm just curious, what what's your opinion of ex-CIA officers being the head of the uh, trust and safety at Google and Facebook? Well, uh, does it make a difference given what we're seeing? I mean, are they, I mean, you know, just, you, 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 you have, it looks like the FBI effectively running trust and safety on politically sensitive topics. Yeah. But so the mean, fact that you have former employees there kind of makes it a little easier, probably in terms of they kind of share the same approach. Uh, you know, but to me, it's the relationship with the government and what the government's doing there. Uh, you know, but it raises another question, too. If the CIA guys or the former guys know exactly what the government would want to be censored, they don't need to talk to them anymore, right? They can set the algorithms up. I mentioned COVID on YouTube, uh, on Facebook. It gets a van, you know, the post is vandalized. I mentioned the 2020 elections. They vandalized the post with a link to Wikipedia about the 2020 elections. So the, you know, they don't need, you know, they don't need the government to tell them what to do anymore. They've got that system in place. And I'm sure that's helped, you know, that's made, that's made more efficient and direct by having former government employees help them run it. Were you on earlier when uh, Matt was on and he, I think he made a comment that there was a ton of applications or requests from former intelligence community people to, get hired at Twitter. Oh, I didn't hear that. Well, that's not surprising. I mean, you know, yeah, they retire young as hands, Hans knows. And, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot more to give yeah. <laughs> in terms of work. Tom, I heard you speak a little bit earlier about Iowa and we have a Republican government here. That's mostly true. Was your, was your pushback coming from the attorney general? No, the Secretary of State's office. We told, we said that they had too many counties that were dirty, had dirty voting rolls. We said eight counties. They said five, and they wanted all of our stuff taken down. That's really interesting. Yeah, Republican Secretary of State. So I mean, we, we we've had less problems with New York than Iowa, and and on on issues like that, it's incredible. I, I just want to kind of take up something that uh, Tracy mentioned a moment ago, which is so, so important. Um, 
do you all remember Stella Emanuel, the doctor? And so she came out pretty early in COVID and she said she treated hundreds, thousands or whatever of people and uh, with hydroxychloroquine and it worked as long as you used it early. And again, I'm not, I don't know because I haven't treated anyone because I'm not that kind of doctor. But soon after she was chucked off and now it appears that, you know, that may have been right, which takes us back to the whole point of, you know, these people were thrown off for just adding an opinion. And one thing that Matt mentioned earlier, which I guess we haven't discussed yet, is that we haven't heard about any of that yet. The, you know, the Fauci files are still missing. Um, and I think Matt men- mentioned that, which was very interesting, too, is that there was a different stream of information or, or, or coercion, whatever you want to call it, coming into Twitter from the usual one. So the one that he's been following is the, the Elvis Chan one, the FBI one. So Elvis Chan was sort of the, um, the aggregator of all the requests from government to Twitter to do things, to ban people, to whatever. And, but the, the COVID stuff doesn't show up there. So that's something that I'm still looking forward to. And, you know, Elon has mentioned it many times. And I just wonder, you know, what there is there. There's going to be a lot that, um, you know, puts Fauci in, in a very bad place due to the perjury he's alleged. You know, we're going to find out. I'm sure he's committed in his deposition uh, by saying he he doesn't do anything with social media. He has no idea what's going on with social media and um, that, you know, he was he was out of that. And that's why I keep saying usually um, and I think Tom can attest to this. We find this stuff out and then there are lawsuits filed. We have the benefit right now of an ongoing lawsuit with a brave-ass judge who's not ruled against the plaintiffs in it at least at once at all so far uh, among this entire time. That's ongoing right now that encompasses all social media platforms, not just Twitter, on these very topics that we're getting this information on right now. And the reason why Elvis Chan was deposed in that lawsuit is because he was given up by Facebook. Facebook is the one that provided that name to the um, attorneys for Missouri and um, Louisiana and the other parties in that lawsuit. It's interesting the way these three worlds or four worlds are combining and weaving together, but they basically control the Internet. All of them control the Internet together. I mean, you know, we're not paying much attention to Google and, you know, they they had complained about Google being a, a distant third in the questioning on Capitol Hill when I would argue that that search deboost is probably the most powerful tool. And I'm sure Dr. Levine, who came out, I think that was his name, that came out before the 2020 election about what Google was doing, um, would agree. Yeah, you know, the the thing about uh, Facebook is it, it's, it's an absolute shambles. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing here, but I, I really shouldn't be. So Facebook accidentally dropped the name Elvis Chan in a phone call with... Um, it was either Schmidt or Landry, you know, those two attorney generals who are running this this case. And so these attorney generals were like, oh, my God, now we have a name. This is the guy. This is the guy who's doing everything. And as soon as they piped up, I think they issued a subpoena for this guy. Facebook, law, uh, Facebook's lawyers sent a letter saying, no, 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 Elvis Chan got nothing to do with Elvis Chan or whatever. But if you read that, it's a two page letter. If you read it very carefully, they're not really denying it at all. 
but to a non-lawyer, it sounds like they're saying we never mentioned Elvis Chan, but they don't actually deny it. It's it's it, you know, it's a it's a thing of beauty, sort of, to a lawyer to to read that letter. So that tells you, and you're absolutely right, Tracy. They messed up. We were never supposed to know about Elvis Chan. And you know, this was this was recently. This was in like September, October, and um, he's now become such a focal point of of this entire operation. And we have his deposition. Well, and, and as some folks have pointed out on Twitter, the Baltimore office was also involved in some of the censorship operation. And they were the office most closely linked to the so-called Biden investigation because they're providing support for the U.S. attorney in Delaware. You know, but to go back to the COVID issues that have been, you know, that uh, the question was asked about. Uh, I, I think you're going to find a kind of an unholy mix of uh, conf- conflicts of interest here because the uh, the companies, you know, got a lot of money, uh, my impression is, from the government for advertising. But they also gave money to the government to run COVID-related ad- related advertising. So they had a business relationship in addition to uh, the censorship relationship. And, you know, and I know I was targeted. I think I was taken down on a COVID-related pretext on January 8th, 2021, or thereabouts. And uh, so you really can't separate the COVID censorship uh, from the other censorship that was taking place. Because as far as the left was concerned, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all part of that same ug- ugly mix. You know, anti-vaxxers, covid uh, you don't believe it, you know, your election deniers, it's all, you're all part of the same and you're all going to get censored one way or another. And they didn't make much distinction. And they used one to get at, uh, you know, so I was punished for my COVID tweet when they really didn't like what I was saying about election integrity. Tom, um, you were chucked off for six months. You suffered like your career, you know, not being able to talk, not being able to get your message out and so on. It, what's the remedy? Are you pursuing any remedy? Or is it all Bivens, like no remedy? What's your what's your take on that? Well, I don't know if I could. I, I don't know individually whether I could pursue any remedies. I, you know, they they took my tweet down and they told me I could go back in when I took it when I took it down. They locked me out and said I could go back in when I took my tweet down, and I didn't do it for ten months. Um, you know, but the damage continues. I mean, we've sued YouTube under the Ku Klux Klan Act which is the civil rights law that covers this collusion between, uh, st- you know, the state actors and, and anyone else to deprive us of our civil rights. So to a degree, information like that comes out about me directly or anyone else, you know, there's potential litigation that could arise from that. And, you know, the challenge is that the Justice Department isn't going to do anything. Maybe some state state's attorney generals will creatively look at this and try to get some enforcement action against the companies and and the entities that were behind this uh, massive, what I call the great suppression. Right. Can, can I just say one, one thing about, you know, on, on Elvis Chan and, you know, on a sort of FOIA, I know um, Twitter is, is not FOIAable, but you know, it would be nice if, if we had something like that. Elvis Chan, uh, interesting. It is basically FOIAable with Elon and had not in charge. Exactly. So, so let's, let's just, let's just spell it out. What, what, what we're, what we're onto here. Elvis Chan was actually located or found by our friend Walker Fire a long, long time ago, years ago. And then he came up again in the Sussman case. 
So we found his name in the Sussman case as one of the sort of sort of major players. And it turns out he was. You all recall that Sussman brought this fake Alpha Bank stuff to the FBI to his friend Baker. And then Baker passed it to some cyber people, and the cyber people laughed it off. This is a total joke. I mean, they immediately saw this was all fake. And guess who the FBI's leadership then farmed it out to because they weren't happy with the response from the the FBI's local people in Washington, the cyber people. They gave it to Elvis Chan, same Elvis Chan. So it would be fantastic and and I've seen so much on uh, from what Matt has done already where Elvis comes up. I mean, he, he comes up all the time. It would be absolutely fantastic to have absolutely everything from Elvis Chan, anything with his name on it, and just to kind of forensically pick that apart. So just putting that out there as, as, a, as a wish list. He, he was really like you'd think he'd be a high a higher up or a higher position. Yeah, he was the um, Forrest Gump, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just interesting to me that they used this one guy for everything. Kyle, do they do that often? It, I mean, it's pretty bizarre because he's he's the GS fifteen, which is not really you know he's not in the upper echelons of things. But he but to get to that point, he would have had to move back and forth and and done some time in DC. So I'm sure he was a unit chief somewhere there and maybe in the cyber unit, and then ended it back in San Francisco where he was comfortable. Um, I had friends that were sitting in meetings that he would host. And he would hold them with like a, you know, high level executive at, at, at Reddit. And they were telling me the same stuff, like before these drops started coming down, that he was giving the wink and the nod right away. It's like, yeah, uh, we can't do censorship, but if it violates your policy, you guys should definitely do it. And, and he was saying that in front of hundreds of FBI employees who know better. And it didn't, it didn't even phase him. It didn't even slow him down to say that and, and do that in front of this kind of audience. So for whatever reason, he felt very comfortable being in that space and operating that way. And, uh, and like I said, I've had a number of people that were in these meetings with Reddit and others that were all tech companies that, that said the same sort of thing. So it's bizarre. Uh, but you would expect he would have been at a higher level and maybe um, just to be holding that kind of position. But he was also in the field office and he was in direct contact. So I don't can know. I you, guess. Can you speak to Babel for a minute? Yeah, as far as the social media exploitation tool that they've got. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the, the FBI does a lot of what's called OSINT, right? Open source information or open source intelligence. And, and they're always constantly looking for ways to, to digest huge amounts of data and do it in a way that's somehow of value um, to the law enforcement space. So some of it's predictive, the kind of pre-crime stuff that we're trying to see. Is this a threat? Is this a uh, pending threat? Is this going to, you know, melt down and be, cause some sort of federal harm or whatever local harm? Somebody would be an active shooter. But then the other piece of it is, is can we, you know, gather intelligence on movements, whether it be you know, fill in the blank group. And, and I have to imagine that things like Proud Boys and stuff like that, we're all kind of tagging these things. But essentially, it's a, it's, a, it's a search engine that runs across all these different types of social media platforms. It was designed for the intelligence community specifically. And, uh, and my numbers are going to run together now. But I want to say they have like a, a $27 million outstanding contract of which maybe it's a thousand bucks a license, something to that effect. So, you know, they've got a handful of licenses. I've had people tell me that it's not nearly as powerful as what they used to use, which is kind of funny. They used to use things like Data Miner and some of the other tools out there. And they said, you know, they've got tools like Zero Fox, which somebody snuck past the sensors and allowed them to name their uh, their software that. But there's a there's a whole bunch of different sort of tools the Bureau is constantly uh, buying access to. They're getting licensed to. And they're trolling across social media. They're trolling across um, you know, websites and, and people's publishing, and then they're being used by intelligence analysts. And those people are trying to concoct the story. 
There was another thing that was called social spider that I recall, which was allowing us to touch people's social media pages without them seeing that we were accessing it. So even if they were private, we could take a look at that. And some of that tells me that they must have had some cooperation with the, the companies that were actually running these these platforms as well. Yeah, I just didn't have the sophistication at the time when I was working CI to actually know what they were, you know, what that actually involved. But there, there's well, no question. Doesn't, that doesn't it occur to you that, that that was pretty low rent activity they were engaged in? I mean, if you're targeting as average citizens whose police, you're, whose speech you're trying to police, you really don't need any high quality crawlers to do that, right? Uh, other than to make sure they get the material. But so if your goal I, is to, you know, you would hope those Dom- tools are being used to kind of break codes, terrorist use to communicate on social media platforms, as opposed to kind of root out speech that's offensive to the political class. Yeah, so by the time I saw them using this stuff, like like that I was actually aware of, like the ones I had seen when I was working CI was that they were very targeted to an individual. So if we had ID'd a specific account or a person, we'd find out what their, their accounts were. We want to look at what their social media looks like. That was part of like an individual investigation. That's pretty targeted stuff. That's pretty specific. The the crawling type programs, I do agree with you that it's it's a much it's a much lower threat level than what you'd expect. And so I I didn't have to do that, thank God. That wasn't something that was tasked of me, but I saw it from the periphery. I was, you know, located next to the national security squads that did the same kind of thing. And what it occurred to me is that it looked like they were basically trying to confirm whatever the narrative that came out of headquarters. You know, Intel people want to be right. They have a vested interest in looking good by doing that. So it's like, well, if we forecast that, you know, um, militia violent extremists or domestic, you know, white supremacists are going to be the, the, the biggest threat to the homeland this year, it'd be really good if that was true. And the only way that you can prove that is by going out and digging up all these white supremacists or militia violent extremists or whatever the hell it is that you're trying to ID. And so this is the self-fulfilling prophecy of working in an intel agency where they have a vested interest in trying to make sure that they're correct. So they have the tools to be able to go out there and find that threat. And, and it may not be apparent to the, the average person out there that it exists. And it may be very fringe. I, I would argue that it's, it's complete BS because I didn't see it. They didn't materialize in the operational realm when I was out doing the surveillance on these types of people. That wasn't legit. But that's what I think they were using the tools to do. So I agree with you. Let me let me try and bring it back to something else that Matt said. I was just kind of trying to scribble down a few things, and he said so much. As I said earlier, the um, I'm going to have to go back and listen to the whole thing. You could probably write the whole article just about all the, the news he broke. Um, he said back in 2017, the the U.S. intelligence community basically forced their way through the door where they forced Twitter to change its policy, and from hen- from then onwards. They had this, this basically this right to get anyone banned. And Matt said there wasn't any, um, any process. There wasn't any proof or anything, no evidence or anything like that. All they had to say is this is Russian sponsored, uh, misinformation. Boom. They're gone. Um, and, and he, he had a, I think he had a tweet where he actually had a screenshot of that policy changing in 2017 through coercion, Mark Warner, people like that. What's the remedy? I mean, Kyle or, or Tom, I mean, what, what, what can we do about that? It's, I mean, it's really ugly right now because the people that theoretically would be policing the FBI as your office of inspector general, uh, maybe a special counsel could go do investigative work, but then they're going to turn around and they're going to refer prosecution to DOJ. So, uh, I mean, do we have a, a maybe a, a possibility of a special prosecutor coming in and running it, but you're still working mostly with people that are connected to that same entity. I mean, it's the hand in the glove. It's it's like it's it's almost an unsolvable problem without just disbanding the damn thing. Well, or, or prohibiting funding of that type of activity. I mean, that's kind of one way that Congress can step up immediately. And the challenge 
that we're facing is because of the uh, omnibus, corrupt omnibus that was passed. You know, my general understanding is that you, the, the, the funding leverage is, is erased or removed, uh, practically speaking, for the next 10 months. Well, and they gave the FBI a raise, right? I mean, they gave right. So they fully funded the FBI. There's been no restrictions on their activities as disclosed over the last few weeks. This is what I'm talking about: the obliviousness. Who stood, even among our friends, to stop, try to stop this in the last funding battle? No one. And I, you know, I'm sorry. You know, we shouldn't have to do all the thinking here. I guess maybe we should, we do. But that's the that's no, the pro, that's the right. challenge of self government. We can't just presume someone else is going to do it. But uh, right. inexcusable. Where was where was Rand Paul? Where were the guys that have repeatedly beat the drum about FISA abuse? Where where were they in this? Nobody stood up. You're right, and that pisses me off to the nth degree. You know, maybe maybe I should have made some calls to highlight the opportunities there. And I guess the challenge. You know, I, I guess to the degree. There are folks who communicate with members of Congress and other public officials. You know, I encourage you, don't presume they got it or it's common sense. They don't need to hear from me. No, 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 no. They're busy people. They've got a lot going on. I mean, I mean, you asked me initially about the binder, right? It's like, I don't know. What do you mean about the binder? Oh, oh, okay. Now I know what you mean about it. But the point is, there's a lot going on. They need all the help they can get. And, uh, you know, if there's if you think there needs to be attention drawn to a particular issue, uh, you need to take advantage of whatever uh, communications you have with them to make that happen. Because in my experience, uh, you'd be uh, to use the trite phrase, you'd be uh, you'd be surprised or maybe not surprised how uncommon common sense is on some of these issues. So, Tom, how often does that happen, that the court orders them to hand over the binder or whatever, and they just they just ignore it? Like, well, in this case, you know, the, if the deadline is December 31st, you know, it's a holiday, it's over the weekend, so we'll probably get it this week. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to order the material over. The question is what they turn over ultimately, right? So they have rights under the law to, to presumably try to redact material that they find uh, that they – that they think they can re- get away with redacting, and we would be able to challenge that in court. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see what they turn over and what they don't turn over. Well, um, Hans, I have to jump because I have to get up really early for my podcast, but thank you guys so much for the opportunity tonight, and thanks for hosting this space. It's been fantastic. Uh, looks like we might have some work to do. I'm super excited to jump in and dig in if Matt hands us over some stuff to look at and um, God bless all you guys. Keep fighting. Thanks, Thanks Tracy. Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. And Tom, we, we have experts at uh, figuring out the redactions in particular, fool Nelson Walker fire. You know, fool is the guy who figured out Sierra Mella's name. Walker fire figured out a whole number of people. Uh, Danchenko, of course, kind of teamwork. So if you get the binder, you know, please, please share. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, typically what Judicial Watch does with documents, we take a look to see, you know, we kind of do what Taibbi does, but we also release all the other documents, which is the challenge here, is that they're kind of looking at material. There's other material that they haven't shared with us yet uh, that sometimes has a lot of good information. And so I would encourage 
you know, Musk and his team to err on the side of disclosure here and just get all the information out as as soon as they're able. And, you know, it doesn't mean you can't have some folks kind of, you know, do a once-over for you and, and present a story as best you're able, but you really should provide additional information, especially given the large quantity of information they evidently have. And, you know, they, they can they can do that. You have to lawyer, you know, you, you pay the lawyers to make sure no one's name is being improperly released or someone's privacy is being in, invaded improperly or in a way that would cause some risk or harm. Uh, but you know, that, that to me is relatively easy to do. Uh, just get, just get the information out and do, as Hans is suggesting, some crowd, crowdsource type reporting. Uh, well, he should use you guys. Today he replied to someone, Elon did, and said that, um, he was happy for stuff to be released as long as junior employees were redacted, as well as sort of personal information, phone numbers, that kind of stuff of, of anyone else. That's not difficult. Um, uh, and, and if it's, you know, I, sure, why should he, why should he pay for it? I mean, he's already done so much, but I'm sure there's plenty of people who do it for free. Yeah. I mean, you know, Judicial Watch could do it. He could bring in, you know, a law firm just to get it done for him as well. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't, you know, these the reporters, they come in with an approach, right? And they may find something of interest that are uh, or may not find something of interest that is very important to many others. And, um, you know, I think there are a lot of victims here and, you know, including very prominent ones. And if I were them, for instance, I would focus on, you know, how did these big accounts get censored and and um, uh, really, really focus like a laser on that. And then from there, track these others who were wrongly censored by the government as well, or by their allies in Twitter. Um, but you know, it's, I, I don't have I don't have an insight into what the documents are. Do, you know how to, how the documents have been handled and such, and how they're kept and all that. And you know, but but you know, this is not this is not a uh, unusual issue uh, to do a document search. The government does it every day. How, how hard could it be? Yeah, no, my I totally agree. My fear is that once uh, Matt and all the others, I mean, luckily, to be honest, Matt said, we've got a long ways to go. That that was I was so happy to hear that. So it's not like he, he's done. Um, but, you know, one once that's over, I totally agree with you. I, I want to see the underlying documents. Yeah, you know, and, and as long as Musk is personally committed, you know, his company is not, you know, is in the business of doing what it does. Right. And document production for the public is is not an ordinary business practice. So this is a pretty extraordinary set of circumstances. And of course, you know, the left is attacking him. They want to jail him uh, in retaliation for this. Uh, so he's going to be facing a lot of pressure. And the degree folks are listening, I would I would uh, you know demand that you know, for instance, members of Congress you know come out and support him. You know, I don't I don't know if I agree with Musk and everything he believes. Like, that's not the point. Same, same thing with Trump. It's not, the point is, is he being abused by the government in retaliation for First Amendment protected activity? And the answer is yes. I mean, Trump was a crime victim in dramatic ways. And I think we're seeing indications that uh, Musk is one as well. Uh, yeah, with his cars as well. Did you all see that um, everyone gets a $7,500 uh, tax credit on an EV? but not a Tesla. <laughs> well, you know, the federal trade commission sent his company two nasty letters a few weeks ago or a month or two ago. Right. 
you know, demanding some information about this uh, consent, this ridiculous consent decree issue. Uh, the president of the United States, his first press conference after he, you know, won his election based on attacking other Americans and threatening him, directed uh, a security review of Musk's operations. Uh, you know, that's, you know, that, that used to be impeachable, right? Uh, but uh, that's pretty, you know, he's, he's uh, a billionaire, but, you know, the government doesn't think in terms of money. They think in terms of force. And, you know, if, if they come after him, all the money in the world's not going to protect him from being thrown in jail if the uh, Biden DOJ decides to, you know, reanalyze or reevaluate law in a way to, you know, put him on the dock. Uh, hey, Hans, before you, we go any yeah. further, can Ryan's been holding his hand up for a while. <laughs> I know he said he only had one question. Yeah, so think, maybe we can cool. let him in. Um, and then we have a couple other people that came in, Sphinx and, and Willie. So and we can get back to wherever you're yeah, headed. Uh, just have one quick question. And actually, Kyle, uh, it's for you. And, and I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, but um, I had a quick question. And to whatever extent you could answer it, I, I would appreciate it. One of the things that I've come across uh, or last several months in some of the FOIA work that I do is a series of investigative referrals that come down from DOJ and the FBI through DARPA and then ultimately to various third-party contractors. But as an initial matter, I'm a little bit confused and a little bit concerned, I guess, as to why investigative taskings are flowing from the FBI or, or DOJ at all to the Department of Defense, and, and the ones that I've seen specifically go to DARPA, but um, for domestic investigations, is there anything you can speak to as to the frequency that cyber-related investigations, um, what frequency those taskings might be sent to the Department of Defense and what the rationale might be behind some of that? I'm I'm totally not familiar with that okay. sort of work. So I'm the only thing I can think of is that it would be that they're they're sending uh you know CI concerns that are CI investigations. So we used to deal with uh, with uh, DoD entities on a fairly regular basis, um, sometimes for just basic criminal matters, and sometimes for you know more sort of uh, espionage or counterproliferation or, or um, you know that type of thing. If there was somebody moving. Uh, moving materials or, or technologies that they shouldn't be, or they were exposing them. So that's the only thing I could really think of that would be, that would make any sense for that kind of tasking to go over there just because they would be, they would be the owners of uh, maybe they would have the personnel that was involved or something to that effect. But uh, without a little bit more information, uh, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't think that's what it is, but, but uh, that is a question that I'm, I'm curious in and, and I appreciate you taking a shot at least. Fool or Hans, I don't know if you guys want to jump back in. Oh, sure. I don't know if Hans is going anywhere after Tom's statements, but um, I know I cut you off a little bit there, Hans. Were you heading no, anywhere? No, no, no. I've, I've said so much. Why don't, why don't you, you, you know, you've taken over now. Why, why don't you go ahead? No, I got nothing. Uh, I, we just have a couple other people request to be speakers, so I figure we can get them to ask some questions. I know Sphinx was first. Yeah, just so you know, Sphinx says she couldn't hear anything. She may need to be reinvited. She sent me a message Ew. that she couldn't tell who was who was talking anymore. So you may need to reinvite. Sphinx, can you unmute yourself at all? All right, we'll move on to Willie then.
Willie? Come on, man. Let's hear that English to all of yours. All right, Willie's not there either. Can you hear oh, me? Oh, there he is. Yeah, I got you. No, no, I just, I'm literally just uh, going to share um, Unrequited Undead Poyers. Um, right, is Give Send Go. That's it. No, he's, he's he's doing the 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 main work on like FOIA requests and and uh, yeah, maybe you can right put some money his way, and go for it. Oh, thank you, Willie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a big deal, guys. But uh, um, try to continue fighting for documents. That's all. So appreciate it, though. Yeah, Ryan's been fighting a lot of uh, fights in Georgia Tech, trying to get documents and public information uh, stuff that's actually owed to us. So, and he's running up a lot of bills. So that'd be very nice if you could contribute to that. He's fighting a fight that uh, I mean, only people like Tom Fitton have really as uh, private endeavors. So um, that'd be great if you could contribute to that. Um, yeah, and just so you know, we've been trying to track the Twitter files as best as we. I don't know, reasonably can, but I hope we're doing it and following up with appropriate FOIAs. So it's all pending out there. So, you know, one thing we're not going to do is wait on Congress to get to the bottom of this. And as we said, you know, a lot of this has already been, you know, shown to be taking place through other documents that are already out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it needs to be expanded into what Facebook is doing and Google is doing because, as I suggested to my question to Matt Taibbi, for those who are listening, uh, the impact of censorship by those en- entities are exponentially greater uh, in terms of the sheer numbers of people it impacts than Twitter. Twitter, Twitter is small potatoes compared to Facebook in terms of numbers. Now, fa- you know, Twitter has kind of an outsized influence on the political class and media class here, but in terms of everyday users, you know, Facebook is exponentially greater. So, so the censorship there is much more grave in terms of its impact, and uh, you know, maybe maybe whoever the next speaker is, we'll we'll put it on front and center. Tom, you touched on Google, and and that's something that needs to be expanded on. As an IT professional, I, I can't help but bring up the fact that Google has a contract with the National Security Agency for cloud storage. Not to mention the fact that Google logs all these search items and is categorizing people as they search. And he's building that into a database of people to watch, monitor, and ultimately suppress. But beyond that, how many people do you know have a Gmail account? Everything that you put into that account and that comes into that account is the same thing. Google's the elephant in the room. Yeah, it's a significant entity, and this is why they're... You know, I, I, I kind of run hot and cold. I, obviously, investigation is our bread and butter, but we, you know, we sue to stop bad things from happening, too. And I, and I think that Congress is kind of trying to kind of needs to make it clear that they want to investigate, but, you know, not not to work for world without end. Amen. But just get enough in order to get some accountability done. And a lot of this is they already know what happened. And the question that voters should have is, what are you going to do about it? 
I think you know, are they going to you know the agencies? Are they going to be prohibited from communicating with uh, the big the social media companies, except in the most limited of circumstances? Uh, Are they going to pressure the Justice Department to begin? special counsel prosecutions, or are they going to decimate the budget of the FBI? Well, there's another avenue that we can go here. How do you break up a company like Google? There's one really good way to do it, but you have to have somebody in Congress and enough people in in the positions to do it to use the Sherman Antitrust Act. You have to do to Google what you did to Ma Bell. That's the only way you you stop Google. Well, I, I just don't, you know, all I see that is that you get a Twitter out of Google that does the censorship that the parent company was able to mask in a much larger operation. I, you know, to me, this is what are the companies doing? And, you know, there are two easy, there are two easy solutions, you know, and I say easy advisedly prohibit government from communicating, the feds from communicating with them to get people, get them from just to, uh, to censor uh, uh, Americans or others. And then B clarify section 230 to prohibit political censorship. Absolutely. And that's and, and you know, because any other way provides, um, you know, is 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 uh, uh, almost guaranteed to fail. But as long as they're and, utilizing, and, utilizing signal and telegram and those encrypted chats and those those disappearing self-destructing messages, they're already going outside of channels and they're using private email servers like Ms. Clinton did. So, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's one thing to do signal for something that's in a gray area, you know, that they pretend is in a gray area of law. Let's be explicit. You talk to Twitter about censoring an account, you're in violation of the law. Right. And, and, you know, signal isn't going to protect you. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, the challenge is going to be how to identify those communications and find out and get those. That's, that's the, the challenge is to prohibit the activity. The activity, Biden is embracing the activity. The COVID censorship is continuing. If I if I say on YouTube that fraud had a material impact on the elections, my video my video is taken down. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's and and, and 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 you know that isn't necessarily directed from the government. That's because Section 230 has been misapplied and needs to be clarified. Uh, to protect political speech on the platforms. I agree. It's a two-part problem. You've got to get these companies to to not accept the the request to do this. You've got to make the punishment hard enough for those companies that they turn around and say, no, I'm sorry, FBI, we're, we're just not going to entertain that, period. But Kyle made a great point in that even if you prohibit it from the other side of the fence, they're just going to throw up a disclaimer and they're going to skirt the law and do it anyway. That's the problem that I think is most troublesome. whatever uh, communications you have with them to make that, you know, that's actually owed to us. So, and he's how to identify those communications and find out and get those. That's the the challenge is to prohibit the activity, the activity. Biden is embracing the activity. The COVID censorship is continuing. 
if I if I say on YouTube that fraud had a material impact on the elections, my video my video is taken down. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's and, and 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 you know that isn't necessarily directed from the government. That's because Section 230 has been misapplied and needs to be clarified uh, to protect political speech on the platforms. I agree. It's a two part problem. You've got to get these companies to to not accept the the request to do this. You've got to make the punishment hard enough for those companies that they turn around and say, "No, I'm sorry, FBI, we're we're just not going to entertain that." Period. But Kyle made a great point in that even if you prohibit it from the other side of the fence, they're just going to throw up a disclaimer and they're going to skirt the law and do it anyway. That's the problem that I think is most troublesome. Thanks, Benji. Um, I guess we'll just move on to people who want to ask questions. We have Medi over here just got added to the chat. Medi, what's up? Oh, thank you very much for allowing me to speak. No problem. To, to, you know, some pretty amazing people. And I know there are great, amazing people down in the listening as well. Um, I just wanted to ask, because I hear this constantly about the funding for documents. What if our side was to be able to just crowdfund a single fund that was there to purchase documents as are needed for our side to make cases or to review or whatever, so that everybody across the board everywhere is getting getting the access to it to review it and maybe be able to point out potential things other people aren't looking at or being able to connect the dots, so to speak. I mean, I, I hear a lot about the funding. Is there a way we can't help ourselves out by just crowdfunding the purchase for them as they roll out? Well, you don't have to, you know, typically you don't have to pay for them. Um, if you're a media company or a nonprofit like Judicial Watch, uh, they are they're provided generally freely, at least at the federal level. Uh, you know that you know I I kind of say this half jokingly, but you know well judicial that's what Judicial Watch is doing. Now, if you're interested in FOIA requests, you know one way to get them done and disseminated widely is through Judicial Watch, and there are a few others who have stepped up. Heritage is doing some good work there, and other groups on the right doing it, but it's it's really. You know, there's there needs to be more done. So, you know, look to see who's doing the sort of FOIA work and transparency work you like and then support them. And then uh, then the other aspect of that is pursuing, as you're pointing out, you know, what do you do when you have the documents? Are there civil rights claims that you can bring or other claims against government for misconduct that you can bring? Uh, and Judicial Watch does that to a certain extent and other groups do that. I know Harmeet Dillon's entities have been doing that and some others do that so you know just find the groups that are out there defending the rule of law from your value perspective and and support them uh and uh, because the left has uh it, it, it you would be you would despair if you understood uh the amount of resources the left is drawing at this tom well well you know uh, well, when you say that, I, I've long wondered, to be honest, how does Tom Fitton feel about the fact that there was a President Trump and he supposedly had this power to declassify anything 
and then it sort of fell short. So, for instance, the binder, right? You, you guys have been fighting that for a while. Is it like, are you frustrated with that? Or is it more that because you know how hostile the bureaucracy is, you know what he was up against? Yeah, I was frustrated about it. Um, you know, the challenge that you have is that you could say, hey, we got to get all this done. And you can get support from the highest levels of government. But unless you're part, unless you're sitting there in the guy's office 24 seven, when the government lawyers come in or the political advisors come in and say, you can't do this, uh, you know, or, or, or even worse, oh, we'll do it. And then they don't do it. And, you know, you're relying on the president of the United States to make sure a FOIA request is answered. I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> that's not ass backwards. I don't know what is, you know, we need a commitment to, taking on the deep state, the administrative state, whatever you want to call it, you know, from all levels of government. And, you know, the president, you know, Trump was the most transparent president in American history. And we did get some extraordinary documents, I think. I don't know for sure, but, you know, evidently, you know, he was he got some of that material out, like, uh, you know, the FISA warrants that we Judicial Watch obtained. You know, I'm sure that was because of the president's interest in getting that out. Uh, You know, I would suspect. And certainly even high, even agency interest in doing it as appointees. But, you know, those, those, those were kind of exceptions that proved the rule. I mean, we had more difficulty. I mean, we were in court earlier this year, for instance, or maybe it was last year. I don't remember federal court. And I was sitting in there and uh, it was about the memorandum that was used to target Trump and open up the unprecedented investigation of the presidential candidate. By the intelligence community. This is the electronic communication that Strzok wrote himself to justify spying on the Trump information. And, and there was redaction after redaction protecting those who were involved and the foreign countries who were involved. And, you know, we're fighting the Biden administration about it. And, you know, it occurred to me during that hearing, it's like, this would be frustrating because we probably would have had the same fight during the Trump administration. Wait, so Tom, are you, refer- are, you, are you referring to the CI and, and criminal investigation into obstruction of Trump? Or no, this is the electronic communication that opened up the counterintelligence uh, operation against Trump and his associates. So, so Peter, okay, so the original, of, so the original EC of Crossfire Hurricane. Yeah, uh, you know, okay. the Judicial Watch obtained. You when know, was that released? The holy I know you got it. Of the whole case, we got it. Right, so that was under Biden administration. I guess I'm just getting my. No, no, no. Well, the point is, we were trying to get more of it released, and and the Biden administration was fighting us, and it was a fight that we typically would have had. So, you know, we similarly would have had with the Trump administration. So, did you ever, Tom? Did you ever talk to Trump while he was president about strategies of getting this stuff out? Did you ever get a chance? Oh, I I don't discuss uh, specifically if we're. If I talk to Trump or what we talked about. Got it. It's just I, I, I've i been sort of brainstorming this this whole thing where I'm frustrated, but I also understand he was up against the worst people. So uh, you can come up with these these game plans where you can you know play off one against each other. You can you know, you know what I mean? You know, you can you can come up with a pretty elaborate scheme to get this stuff out if you wanted to. I guess. Well, what what I saw more, you know, and without divulging confidences, what I saw directly was seditious activity 
by his appointees. He wanted something done, evidently, based on what I understood, and things weren't done. And there was this almost casual sedition. We don't care what the president says. We're not going to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, I would even put Mark Meadows in that category with his January 19th uh, letter back to the FBI or back to DOJ. Oh, oh yeah, sorry, we understand that these things need to be redacted. (laughs) Talking about the binder again, Um, you know, appalling in my view. Yeah, and there, there, that's a good example. I mean, your listeners may not know that that was you speaking, Hans, right? You know, the, the, yeah. the, this is this is this is the binder. Cons- this was material about the Russian investigation that the FBI and company have been withholding for years. Which, in my my understanding, as I haven't seen the records, would have kind of blown up even further uh, the corruption that the FBI engaged in to target Trump. And so he did declassify it all. And at the last minute, the FBI and, and evidently people in the White House, lawyers in the White House, came and told Meadows, and I guess it was Meadows, you can't release this because there'll be privacy issues. And so they stopped the release, uh, literally, as the president's walking out the door, and they sent it over to the Justice Department or the FBI, I forget which agency, it doesn't matter since the FBI is a subset of the Justice Department. And said the president wants this released, but review it for privacy issues. And sure enough, it's never been released. And that's the binder we're now talking about. But they yeah. came in and they lied about the privacy issues. And they scared, uh, sounds to me like they scared uh, Meadows from finalizing the release. And here we stand two years later, we still don't have it. Uh, having read Meadows' book, I would hazard a guess sort of reading between the lines that he has a copy of the binder and I assume others have a copy of the binder too so yes while they sort of gave in on these privacy issues and handed the whole thing back uh, I I assume some people kept copies and I assume part of this Trump raid at Mar-a-Lago had to do with that you took the words right out of my mouth yeah, I mean, I've always, I've been of the position. I've been on, you know, I've had a lot of lot to say on the Trump raid, and it's getting late at night to get into it too much. But uh, I'm I'm convinced that raid was as it wasn't so much to see what Trump had; it was to see what Trump had on them. Exactly. Tom, you're supposed to. I, I guess we already rehashed this, so you didn't get it. You were supposed to get a production regarding the binder on December 30th, so you got nothing. Hello? I guess that's a no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm back. I'm having a little trouble turning the mic off. Yeah, you know, I'm the president of the company, so I don't get the documents directly. So, you know, as far as I know, I don't have them. But, you know, they could be in process. Who knows? Okay, perfect. Right, guys, I think that was fantastic. And I'll kind of call it a day here. Um, I don't have to get up as early as Tracy. She has to get up at four, but I have to get up at six. So um, thanks, everyone, for coming. And, you know, this was great. And I hope we can do it again sometime. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Hans. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Hans. Thanks, Hans. Thanks, Tom and Kyle and everybody else. Good job. Bye. Thanks, y'all. Good night.